realm will have any context of what that means. Welcome back after our Easter break to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today we have a full strength team. Like Jesus, I'm reborn on a Sunday, this roll. <laughs> <laughs> and like, never to be undone, I'm just wondering how Terry's going to rack that up a few notches. Like Wenger, man, we'll clueless three at the back. <laughs> uh, right, strap yourselves in because it's going to be a long one today. Um... Get some refreshments or take the scenic route to work. If you live 20 minutes from work, you might have to take about a two-hour detour. Your, your boss would be fine about it. Yeah. Your boss is listening. Yeah. I'm your boss. <laughs> so within 50 seconds, we've declared ourselves Jesus and your boss. I'm pretty certain the Jesus one might be the most offensive. Yeah. Turns who your boss is. What, I don't know. Um, Given that you're the boss, um, what sort of advice can you give to people that are currently thinking, oh, I'd like to listen to podcasts, but I've got to get to work? Call in sick. Yeah, just tell them you're sick. Listen to it, then listen to it again, then listen to it again. I mean, the third time you get the little details that we put in there that a lot of people don't pick up on. <laughs> and this is why British productivity <laughs> is incredibly low. Outsourced to China. Experts have put it down to one podcast, encouraging people to take sick leave. The New Age Boxing Podcast is officially declaring its intention to run in the general election. Bank holidays every day. We will demand Eddie Hearn puts on a decent card at least once a year. (laughs) Fucking hell, not miracle work. We have plenty to get through. There was a BT card. There was a Sky card of sorts. Mm, There was a good card. There was a bad card. Was there an ugly card? Mm. Or was there... What would you call it? Anyway. No. 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 There's your call. Um, there's AJ Klitschko, uh, AJ Klitschko preview. And a ton of questions. It's just There's so much to get through. So, I guess so That's why we've wasted two minutes. Yeah, that's why we've used... In a few more seconds. So, let's move Go on, on. <laughs> with... The BT card to start with. Let's start with the good news first. Um, Villanueva versus Tete. Strange one. Um, you know, we, we saw Zolani Tete here before, upsetting the apple cart. Seems that he's basing himself out of the UK now. He's promoted by Warren, has been since the Paul Butler fight. Yeah. You know, Warren exercised those options pretty quickly. <laughs> um so he's part of the really exciting bantamweight division. So if you look at who we've got at bantamweight, we've got Butler, Haskins, McDonald. I'm sure Baby McDonald could box there as well. Well, other, well, the other twin, I should say. The even less exciting twin. Yeah. But it was a strange one because that seemed to open up the the whole the whole event. And 
you know, Tete, much like Ndongo, rangy southpaw, just just horrible to box against. He's really busy with the right hand. You suspect he's a right-handed southpaw the way he's just at ease, just keeping that hand in, I mean, in Villanueva's face. Villanueva just couldn't get close. And when he did get close, the target was so small, there was nothing really to hit. So it was basically a, a 12-round procession for Tete, who's probably scared more people now with that performance because I think the scores are like 120-108, It was as one-sided a fight as you're going to see. Apart from Martin Murray gave Rosado because that was uh, 11-1 according to one of the judges. Oh, we'll, no, 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 we'll come no, 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 no. on to, we will I, come on I, to I am not losing any Martin Murray steam before the moment, right? There'll be no premature anger in this one. I'm, I'm holding it all till I need to let it out. Was it as one-sided as David Hayes, famously? Probably. No, let's not get that route. I'm not saying it. Probably even more so. <laughs> even more so! Oh no! <laughs> right, back on track. I am hungover today. You're hungover as well, aren't you? I'm okay. Oh, I thought you said you were hungover. I'm, I'm slightly ill, but it's okay. All yeah, right. But look, Tete looked really good. You've heard me on the podcast say this before. Southern Africa is the location. If you're looking for fighters from about 140 pounds downwards, that is where you go because they can walk around at their fight weight and be strong at that weight. I think it's. It's the last untapped resource, really, in terms of boxing talent, because it's relatively modern. So if you look at guys like Tete and Dongo, they relatively modern boxers. It's not primitive. There's a degree of sophistication. Throw Richard Comey in there. Oh, he's from Ghana, but close enough. Um, <laughs> my my map knowledge is important, <laughs> but <clears throat> um, but you know. I I claim the Wade Van Niekerk thing, you know, when when people seem to come out of nowhere, I always look to my suite of Microsoft Office programs and wonder <laughs> what's really <laughs> happening here. But I'll say no more. Do you have anything else to say on that? Hopefully not, because we've done three minutes already. No, good fight. Red <laughs> um, Smile versus Williams. Wow. Um, wow, wow. Wow. Um, I can remember speaking to Martin about Jermaine's smile and him saying to me, this is one tough, tough man. Yeah, that was on the back of uh, Leon McKenzie fight. Yeah. Uh, his defence of the English title last time round, which he got his eye busted open, closed up. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the, man's, the man's a house. He's yeah. a unit of a man. Yeah, how he makes one six eight no. he doesn't look like a superman. He mid. has twiglets for legs, essentially, because his upper <laughs> yeah. half is just is a heavyweight upper yeah. body. But but you looked at those two guys and it just looked like two very hard men about to go to war. Um I've known Daryl for years, you know, saw him for probably his third fight in when he was on the Box Nation Academy. I've sort of followed the ups and downs of his career. I'll, I'll claim bias in this one in saying that Daryl is a damn good friend of mine. Got a lot of respect for him as a person and as a boxer because people won't realise he's only had 23 fights in his whole life. And look, at he's an English champion. He's so. coming off of 15 months out, was it? Yeah, hand trouble, um, you know, personal stuff. But back on the right track, um, Eddie Lamb's kept him level-headed throughout, so he's been learning and developing, which is good. But... In terms of a fight, it was a strange one. Uh, so, Jermaine Smile comes out 
Now he knows what Daryl does and he knows who Daryl is and he comes out and he he postures up, you know, left hand round the body, you know what I mean, Mayweather style, and I'm thinking, okay, you're gonna counter punch. But you don't counter punch against Daryl Williams because he doesn't give you the space to work. Um, much like a fight we're gonna discuss later on, he likes to smother you and it's just raw aggression you know it's it's violent it's brutal and it's nasty that's what daryl does and he's brilliant at it so i I saw jermaine smile posture up and i was worried at that point because i thought the thing you need right now mate is your jab but he had his left hand basically just but i mean literally super glued to his torso so by the first round it's a war and at this point you realize he's not going to get out of this this is going to be a war from start to finish and I'll go so far as to say that it's easily fight of the year because you saw two men really go for it. Um, Daryl did what Daryl does best. I'm going to be a bit picky and say he probably could have transitioned better from being in channel one, which is straight down the middle, to switching sides because when he did that, he had Jermaine Smile lost and confused. But, you know, Daryl's been out for a while, so he was rusty. I understand that. <clears throat> but my goodness if you can watch that fight again watch it and then watch it again because that's the essence of what british boxing should be he should be getting one defense of it in a legitimate defense something like a leon mckenzie fight you know leon gave jarmaine smile plenty of grief those two have got you know a little bit of personal uh, background history against it take that fight you know give himself another fight back into it and then go for the british title because i think that's where you know well again we're going to touch on later uh fielding versus Ryder, but based upon what i've seen i haven't seen all of the fight yet um for boxing reasons but um yeah i mean that's that's a fight rocky fielding probably doesn't want agreed um i liked it because you're on a mainstream broadcaster and you have a show that might have been on a Mickey Helly or a Steve Goodwin show in another life. And, you know, you'd have just heard us talking about how good it was. But this time, all of you got to see how good that fight actually was. And it's a reminder that beyond all the the matchroom hype, you know, the Sky Sports hype machine, there are legitimate fighters out there who are prepared to put it all on the line. And that's what you saw yesterday. Yeah, Tommy Langford taking on... No, let's go for this. Uh, <laughs> Kurt Sidze, I'm going to go with. All right, Langford, uh, British middleweight champion. Now, this is for one of those make-believe WBO titles because Billy Joe Saunders doesn't like getting in the ring. Um, so an interim WBO world title. <laughs> Langford's not good enough, is he? Let's be perfectly blunt about this. Um, it's a weak middleweight division in Britain, hence why he holds that title. Langford's a perfectly fine boxer. Kurt Sidis is a animal. Like you can see it in the build up, he's not quite um he's not quite right in the head. There's something a little bit like loose about him. And that shows in the ring. And Langford didn't know what to do with that. Langford's used to fighting other, you know, relatively okay, nice boxers. I think he hangs his hat on the fact he's only ever lost two or three rounds in his career, which is fine. But when you get in with someone who's hungry, angry, will just throw those body hooks horribly throw the hooks to the head Langford just he didn't have an answer for it and I mean Langford is what six inches probably taller than Kurtzids um, and he just he couldn't hold him off long enough and that's where it comes down to being a nice boxer against being an aggressive fighter and that's what Kurtzidze was there isn't a drug test I go I would have failed <laughs> 
Have you seen his face? His face looks like years and years of steroid abuse. Like, you know when you look at Dorian Yates, the bodybuilder, and his face is just hardened because like those those muscles that you're not supposed to overdevelop in your mouth, the ones that make you smile. Is it 27 muscles to frown and like three to smile, whatever the fuck it is? And his were all just rock solid. He looked like, literally, it looked like his body was flesh and his head was granite. And I just thought to myself, who the hell is this guy? And you, there's no way, like, I've... I've played rugby against Georgians before. So I know Georgians are generally a tough bunch and they are, let's not lie. You know, they have real macho culture over there. But this, he just looked deformed. And, you know, I hope he signs up to the whole clean boxing program because I'd be intrigued to know what his biological passport is because, I mean, it doesn't look like he's got a fucking visa at all. That was... (laughs) I felt for Langford because Langford, you know... You know, yeah, okay, you're sparring Daryl Williams, but the guy you had there just looked like, like if you'd pulled his shorts down there, his ass cheeks would have just been pockmarked from all the. Well, let's stop there. <laughs> um, really, because you haven't said enough, enough really. So they had the uh, the press conference after Billy Joe Saunders and this Katsidze. So essentially, what happened was um, Katsidze was meant to fight Saunders last time out. They paid him step aside money to fight Tommy Langford. Um, so that they could try and pursue a bigger fight for Saunders, so getting him the Golovkin fight. Now, Golovkin's pushed back his own plans and is now likely to fight September, they think, against Canelo. Um, We'll see if that comes off, but in the meantime, they were giving him this step-aside money, so now Saunders has got to fight him anyway. Um, So that's wasted step-aside money um, for all intents and purposes. But how funny was that? (laughs) It was Saunders and Rosier. I think it was Andre Rosier, who's also Danny Jacobs' trainer, who... He seemed to be more offended at Billy Joe than than Georgie King Cladsey was. Georgie King Cladsey. <laughs> but but cre- credit where credit's due, Billy Joe just wasn't backing down. And I hope we see that Billy Joe, albeit in better shape yeah. in the ring, because that's the sort of spirit we, we need to see from Billy Joe. So to shed some light, this is the press conference afterwards. They sit Billy Joe and Georgie King Cladsey down like with somebody in between and it's pure pantomime bullshit straight out of matchroom playbook. Um, these two are going to have a fight afterwards, but you know, thankfully, there's one pissy puny little security guard who happens to be able to separate, um, you know, Katsidze and uh, Saunders. Um, How small was that table, though? Yeah, but the fact is, if those two really wanted to go at it there and then, they'd have gone at it there and then. Um, but you know, it's just this hype building. It's already booked in, I think, for June time. Um, called Saunders Box Rec so it was just you can see that clearly they're starting to borrow from the way that Matchroom are building up fights etc by doing this hyping in advance setting the, the seeds of a storyline that can then be built up to at the time mega beef mega beef intense heated beef <laughs> how long how long out does a boxer need to be before they become an irrelevance or is it is it completely de- only determined by each boxer himself. Well, Billy Joe will never be irrelevant because he's he's undefeated. So people people want to see him lose at some point. So he'll always be relevant. It's like Fury. Fury could never box for another four years. But if he came back, you'd want to see what he still had. So he'll always be relevant. I think it's when you get to that level where you fought for four world titles and you've sucked in all of those fights and sucked your whole career... <laughs> then maybe you become irrelevant. When you're a feather-fisted <laughs> Martin Murray. Oh, no, sorry, anyone. Doesn't have to be Martin Murray. 
Okay, Tyrone Nurse took on Hughes. Give me the lowdown. This is a majority draw, wasn't it? Because yes. I, I lost interest, yeah. but I was watching it. And one I, for Nurse, one for Hughes, one as a draw. And I watched it and I thought, what the hell is Tyrone Nurse doing? Gee, there's a lot to like about Nurse. Number one, he looks like he, he should have been in Bone Thugs and Harmony. That's the first thing <laughs> I, I like about him. Secondly, he's he's a great technician. He's he's brilliant to watch. A lot of the stuff he does is really clever. It's really slick. But it's like no one's explained boxing theory to him, which says when you're a lot taller than someone, your life is a lot easier if you just jab. You, you just jab. Don't let them get close to you. And you, he could win every fight at a canter if he wanted to. But he wants to prove his toughness. Every time he wants to prove his toughness and he gets in the trenches and he's got away with it. You know, fight after fight, you get frustrated and he pulls it out down the stretch. And this guy, Joe Hughes, they had a guy who was like, no, just put the rounds in the bank, make him chase the fight. <clears throat> and that's what happened. So I don't know what you do if you're Tyrone Nurse. <coughs> I think I've said it before, and I think uh, I've been criticised for it. But Tyrone Nurse is a Tesco value Floyd Mayweather. Um, he has bundles and bundles of skill and ability, but he has no power, very little aggression, and he doesn't have the ability to put that ability into practice all the time. Um, but you know, he's a slick boxer. He's a lovely boxer. But don't forget, Jack Cattrall schooled Joe Hughes. Um, Jack Cattrall. You know, took him apart. And, uh, I think it is worrying for me that Tyrone Nurse can do that in a division where you've got um, some outstanding talents. Some, you know, the Josh Taylors, Ahara Davises, Jack Cattrall, Robbie Davis Jr. All those names. I think Tyrone Nurse will be a little bit nervous about that belt right about now, uh, in case one of those comes looking for him, which I think they will after last night. And uh, odd fact: Joe Hughes has got one arm shorter than the other. I don't know if you knew that. It was a medical condition, wasn't it? Where yeah, something on the Is it like really extreme? Has he got like a five foot arm or something? <laughs> I don't think it's that one is abnormally long. I think it's. Is <laughs> that one is. Uh... He's got a combined reach of five foot and ten inches. <laughs> yeah, so. Like Mr. That... Tickle or something. No, one of them is, uh, is shorter than the other. <laughs> Terry's losing his He's dying over the back. <laughs> had to cough his lungs for his mouth. Okay, we had Anthony Yard in action against uh, Snow. What was Snow's first name? Darren. Darren Informer. Snow. Informer. Mm. Informer. <laughs> no one knows the rest of the words after that, do they? No one. I don't, think there were, I don't think there were any words. Darren Snow's toss. Um, let's make no mistake about it. And Anthony Yard, they beat him up. Like Anthony Yard is a talent... <laughs> But what is he learning out of these fights? I know he's got the... Uh, actually, there's a question, I think, regarding well, this. Yeah, so Sam Khan asks, where does Yard go now, given he decimates all his opponents? Um, what would your plan be if you were his promoter? You have two problems, right? When you've got somebody of that ilk that goes around decimating people. One is, what do you do? Because he's still very formative in his career, so don't forget about that. Um, so what do you do with him? And the other problem is how much money are you willing to invest in him because getting these journeymen in gets more and more expensive when you keep knocking people out um so a journeyman that you know goes out traveling every week you're running the risk of getting knocked out and that means you can't fight then for x number of days 
Um, and so those journeymen, if they're going to come in and fight, are going to want a higher payment. So you've got to invest in that fighter. Um, May 20th, I think, is the perfect fight for Anthony Yarde. So he's fighting Chris Hobbs, uh, Southern Area light heavyweight champion. Um, Chris Hobbs... Chris Hobbs, let's be perfectly blunt about it. Like, I like Chris Hobbs. He's a nice man. He's not the best boxer in the world. He's um, tough. He's ex-army. I think he's still actually in the army thinking about it. He is a tough man. Uh, he's not going to fall over the moment he gets punched like every one of Yarde's opponents seems to do. Uh, they want an early night out of it and not to take too much punishment. Hobbs will be there to take some punishment. He's been stopped once, Chris Hobbs, when he got injured against Kelvin Young in the Southern Area fight. So I think this is the absolute correct career path uh, for Anthony Yarde. And to do it the traditional way, go after the area titles before moving upwards. Um, you know, there's a few other light heavyweights around that uh, someone like Spiros Dimitriou, who uh, goes around knocking people out fairly often. There's, you know, Jake Ball, who's on the comeback trail. So there's a few young lads that are around that same, um, the same weight division, same kind of periods within their career. I think it's only a matter of time until we start having to see some of these collide. But firstly, I think the Chris Hobbs fight will give him a decent test. Uh, somebody that isn't just going to fall over. I think ultimately he'll finish, you know, he'll beat Chris Hobbs, I suspect. But at least he'll get a few rounds out. I, I, I just don't see it. It's, I always go back to, it's probably March 2013. It was the first time I saw Anthony Yard. We were at an Earlsfield amateur show. And he boxes this kid from, from Battersea. And the kid was decent. Like, you know, we, we'd seen the kid around. And we're like, okay. Because you had Anthony Yard. And he was, you know, just a short, stocky kid. Well, shorter than me. Stocky kid with his headphones on. Just walking around. Didn't really talk to anyone. And he had, you know, O'Hara Davis and those guys were there. Gets in the ring. Slip, slip, bang. And it was the power he seemed to generate of very little movement that had me go, oh, wow. So, against someone like a Chris Hobbs, we can talk about Hobbs is tough. I just think Anthony Yard is one of these guys that can seemingly activate more muscle fibers than the average human being. And he's just got that thing of he will just detonate. And the punch, you'll see the punch. And when it hits you, you go, that wasn't meant to be that hard. He He's a workaholic. He's a machine. He obsesses about boxing. And I don't think we'll see the best of him until people can actually test him. Uh, if Matchroom is smart, they'll keep him and Jake Ball apart for as long as possible. Um, you know, they, Jake and Anthony both need to develop. Uh, you, you can see, you know, working through guys like Callum Johnson. Just get rid of a lot of this Deadwood. What was that kid's <laughs> name? Was it was it Blackledge? Get rid of guys like Luke Blackledge. You know, just lay waste to to the division that way, and then. But that requires the investment because Blackledge he's fighting for the Super Middle Commonwealth title on the undercard of Brook. Well, those kind of people you need to pay them and. Let's be honest, like Frank Warren hasn't shown so far any inclination to pay for better opponents. Like Darren Snow is fucking awful. I saw him fall over at the O2 against Jose Lopez when he got clipped. Like nothing so, hard. He so just wanted out. My suspicion is this. I don't think Warren is sure Anthony Yard's gonna stay. He knows he has to get him out. Do you mean Anthony Yard who turned up on an advert on a Sky Sports? <laughs> Twice. <laughs> this is the second yeah, it's the second boxing. one. <laughs> And I, I, I'll be controversial. I bet he'll be on the Joshua Klitschko one as well. So there's, there's, 
I've heard murmurings that that's what's likely to happen. I find it strange that him and O'Hara Davis are on different promotional machines, considering how close they are and what they get to hear about each other. I'd be very, very surprised if the feelers haven't been put out. Okay, we had Leon Woodstock versus Paul Ford on this already pretty hectic card. How long did this card go on for, by the way? Oh, hours. It was on for ages. Is this one of the ones that they um, they put between Box Nation and BT Sport? Yeah. Right. Because I was down at your call, so I didn't get to watch it live. And were they were they all 12-rounders? No, no, no. It just seemed to be a very long card. Right. Not like Warren. They go until three in the morning. <laughs> was there like a forty-five minute gap between fights where no music was played? Well, well, no, 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 was... no, no, no. But to but be fair, fight in the crowd. No, to, to be fair, you by the time Langford got starched, you could then just switch over to to the matchroom show anyway. So, you know, timing was it wasn't as bad as the matchroom show. Yeah, as long as you're there. Sorry, watching at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, part of your entertainment sort of construction shouldn't be where if they get bored on my show, they can flick over to the other one for a bit and then come back. Um, it's a great strategy for the yeah. uh, TV network. Um, Leon yeah, Woodstock. So Leon Woodstock versus Paul Ford. I like Leon Woodstock. I think he's. Um, I said about it on Twitter the other day, actually, to him. I think he's uh, somebody who carries himself very well outside of the ring in that he's got a good balance between being a bit of an arsehole and actually being a really nice bloke and I think that's quite important that you see both sides of him uh, super featherweight central area title he stopped uh, Paul Ford in the third round some vicious heavy punching coming out for super featherweight that lad can bang he's tall I don't know how he's making super featherweight um, but I, I just really like him. I think he's a really exciting talent. And this one of the reasons I like this card so much, right? Because for all the shit we give Warren, this had a British, an English, an area title fight, plus it had Tete, plus it had Langford, plus it had Dubois, Yarde. Like, this was a cracking card. Make no mistake about it. This was good. Uh, but I like the fact that you give the respect to those like central area titles. Someone like Leon Woodstock, I think that's, again, we said about it with Anthony Yardo that it's good that they're going the traditional route of picking up these area titles. I think they'll probably move Woodstock on now. I think he's 9 or 10-0, and 0, um, and he's a handful for any super featherweight out there. Uh, I'd like to see him moved on you know, up to English level, probably within the next three or four fights. But who do you uh, stick him in with? You can't stick him in with the uh, Georgie Jupp just yet, can you? Hmm... I don't know. I mean, George Jupp, I don't know what's going on with him. He's got, you know, he flits around different shows. He was on Heliot one, wasn't he? A while yeah, back I think that's, and, uh, so the last time I saw him, he he looked good. Like, so, so George Jupp is one of these guys who legitimately suffers from having no power. Everything else is there by the power and the work rate. Um, then you look at guys like, what, Boy Jones Jr., that, that same weight class. It, it, it's an interesting one. I'd like to see Lil Woodstock just solidify where he is and oh and i think what tends to happen in boxing and i speak from a coaching perspective you get success at one level and it feels easy so you go let's just go for the next level immediately and you don't realize actually that jump is a lot more than just a little 10 percent extra yeah, i think you need yeah. to look at three or four fights down the line yeah. before you go on the english route. so for me he's where he is now is good i'd like him to have a few more fights where he nails his formula down. So he goes, this is what I do in the ring. And if that doesn't work, I can switch to this. Because right now, it all, it all seems a bit off the cuff. And that's good when you're fighting people who are limited. But when you fight guys who have strategies of their own, then you need that that ability to switch. 
But I think he's super talented. Like, nothing is beyond the kid. Yeah. Is there any high-profile examples of where someone has, like, been dominant in one weight division, moved up, and then just been embarrassed or taken apart? Like, you know, I'm thinking of extreme examples. Are there any? Well, or I've, they... seen, I've seen it in reverse, where Eddie Chambers moved down to <laughs> cruiserweight and got absolutely humiliated by a kid called Tabisa Michunu. And then Machuna got smashed around by everybody else because he made Machuna look world class. <laughs> and then Machuna got relegated to being the sparring partner Bell you chose for Makabu, which tells you how far he had fallen. So I've seen it happen that way. You've seen guys move up historically. So Bob Foster went from dominating at light heavyweight to boxing Joe Frazier at heavyweight and getting knocked out. Went back down, dominated at light heavyweight again. Came back up to heavyweight to fight Muhammad This is when there was no cruiserweight? Yeah, there was no cruiserweight in the 70s. What about Martin Murray, our favourite fighter? Goes from being far too big to be a middleweight, which is why he moved up to super middleweight. (laughs) Gets beaten up by George Groves and decides actually he's a bit too small to be a super middleweight, so going back down. What a terrible... I feel sorry for this guy because he's been mentioned twice now in disparaging terms. and He's going to get it worse. We're building up to... uh... We're just sowing seeds right now. Uh, okay, let's go to something more positive. Um, Daniel Dubois faced a tough test against the fighter that Terry, at Terry's behest, we have called Big Blaze. Just Blaze? Uh, I I was broken hearted watching this. So, I've known Blaze since he absconded from the Cameroonian training camp at the 2012 Olympics. And we we sparred together for about six weeks before you know, those guys had to surrender themselves or, you know, people started to get their claws into them. And so there was him, there was Thomas Asomba, so people in the small hall scene will know who Thomas Asomba is. Northeast. Yeah. Uh, ABA finalist lost to Harvey Horn, which I thought was a robbery. Uh, you had Serge Ambomo, who people know because of Jerome Wilson, but Serge, fantastic man in his own right. Uh, you had... You had Christian as well. You had a whole squad of these guys and they came down to the boxing club I was at at the time and they were fantastic human beings and I know how good Blaze is. So the Blaze I saw last night, I didn't recognise. I don't know why that is, but I just didn't recognise him and it upset me greatly to see him have to go out like that because he's more talented than that. And that's not to take anything away from Daniel Dubois, another guy who walked through the doors of the club I used to coach at and I have a lot of respect for him and I think you know that before he signed to Warren I was telling people this guy will give Joshua hell in about three or four years time so it was one of those fights it was just for Daniel to look good and devastating they really oversold who Blaze was you know talk about his amateur achievements which is great but what they didn't say was because of guys like Frank Warren he's basically sat on the shelf trying to scratch a living as a boxer and he deserved a lot better than that. Although Dubois did get clipped, didn't he, by the right hand? Yeah. Um, which I thought he, his legs went a little bit. He kind of stumbled into the ropes and then came back and uh, and held on. So at least he showed the ring nails to, you know, quickly shut that distance and stop the arms going. Um, but it's a little bit of a worrying sign that I don't know how big a part. I don't really know that enough enough about Blaze to comment. But. He yeah, certainly he clipped Daniel, and Daniel didn't look comfortable in there. So I think they're going to have to be very, very careful 
I mean, they've clearly picked Blades because of a winning record. They can build him up as an, a, you know, an amateur who's done well. They need to be a little bit careful what they do with Dubois because based upon that, he's um, clearly going in there with the intention to knock everybody out and be, you know, Anthony Joshua version 2.0. Um, but they didn't rush Joshua to that level of opponent that quickly. I know he started off with a debut against that Italian geezer that was like 8-0, but that was a joke. Um, but, you know, they then brought him back down. He was fighting the likes of Skelton, Matt Legg, etc. I think they're going to have to do that with Daniel Dubois and just let him learn the ropes a little bit more because he was very wayward. Um, and I say when he got clipped with that, it wasn't, it didn't look great for him for like half a second. No, no, agreed. Um, what do you do with him? I've always, I said, I think I said this before. You can afford to let him fight just pretty average heavyweights. Just, Pick anyone up there, go to Latvia, go to Georgia, wherever. Just let him do that. He, we don't need him to step up for at least a year, year no, and a half. I agree. Uh, Mark Evans comments on the BT Sport thing, um, uh, encompassed within also a Frank Warren question. Now, the, the long-winded version of his question starts with, why would any top-level prospect choose to sign with Frank Warren? Then it goes on a lot. But then he, thankfully, has compiled that into a smaller tweet uh bt sport might change things but that's completely unknown and yet boxers chose frank warren before the bt deal why um edwards conception ball versus whatever the irish guy was called madonna yeah <clears throat> ball versus mcdonough doesn't happen on a warren show warren would never do that if he if he backs you and he's invested in you he wouldn't throw you like that ben hall carson jones this is why... Had pe- these out? Exactly what happened so, in these things? So, Ben Jones... Ben Hall fights Carson Jones. And Ben was never ready for that fight. So, he, Ben Hall's the prospect. In this yeah, scenario. Ben Hall's the prospect. Carson Jones is the guy who went life and death with Kel Brook. Car- ben Hall goes from drawing with Ryan Toms over, like, six rounds or whatever, three or four fights before, to being chucked in with Carson Jones. That's a terrible bit of matchmaking. And, and can you... And I'll put it like this. Carson Jones, in another universe somewhere, is a world champion. So don't discount his talent. And he... You know, Ben Hall was out of his depth. Charlie Edwards was out of his depth against Jose Luis Conception, if I've got his name correctly. No, it was the other one, wasn't it? But, yeah. I know you mean... Oh, yeah. You no, know, the Conception was the FI. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no the, the <clears throat> Filipino guy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the name, but... Yeah, so look what that did to Edwards. They've, they've had to rebuild him. Frank doesn't make those sorts of mistakes because he's old school and he'd sooner match you lower than your capability than match you beyond your capability. So that's why you go with Frank because your career will be built the right way. But there comes a point when financially you need that Sky money. And when you look at the people who really make money on Sky, there's a handful. And it's your Joshua's and it's your your Bell use and, you know, on occasion, Kel Brook. There's, there's probably not more than six or seven guys who make a meaty six-figure package out of, you know what I mean, boxing or matchroom shows. I would say for Dubois, it's possibly um, an isolated incident that he's probably looked at who's in matchroom at the time because I've no doubt Eddie would have probably had an interest in him because he was very highly touted. But if you look, there's a little bit of a bottleneck in the heavyweight scene at Matchroom for the next few years. Uh, Bellew confirmed last night that he's going to carry on fighting. <clears throat> no doubt he'll carry on fighting at heavyweight. You've got Joshua who's going to be there for however long. You've got Dillian White up there. 
those are going to be the ones that Eddie focuses on within the heavyweight division for the next, you know, minimum, certainly for White and uh, Joshua, the next 36 months probably, uh, you know, three years. And so what would Dubois be doing? I mean, it's always useful to have a, a good heavyweight, but they're not going to invest that much time and money and effort into him when they've got these other lads that are at the top level well, already. What we did with Ortiz? <laughs> Sorry, Luis, who? Um, <laughs> no, he's gone off with Heyman now. Like He's fucked him off entirely. Well, it's not so, surprising. He didn't use him at all, did no, he? No, put him on at like four o'clock at the O2. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> terrible. Uh, we're, we're putting you on in Cuban time. Uh, <laughs> prime Cuban time. <laughs> They'll love it over there, Louise. <laughs> and so uh, I think, you know, there's a little bit of a, a traffic jam at the top. So I can understand it from that perspective. But, yeah, you know, I guess at the moment, uh, those at Frank Warren's offices can probably sell a little bit of a dream that they could never sell before, which is around the whole BT thing. So he's right in saying there isn't, there's nothing that's laid out in concrete about how good this BT deal is, what the exposure, what the viewership, what the money coming in behind well, yeah, it all is. Yeah, more to that. He then says, so far there's no evidence that the BT uh, deal will increase exposure or money for boxers, but, but, or is but, there? But what does he expect? Let's 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 be realistic. You look at yesterday's <laughs> card. Yesterday's card is just a shot across the bowels of Matchroom to say, this is this is what we can do when we're not trying. What we need to see is what's going to happen when Warren has all of his missiles available. So what's going to happen when he can he can have a a, a full annual quarter where he can get Huey Fury out, he can get Tyson out, he can get Billy Joe out, he can maybe even do a deal with Eubank Jr. to get him out. You know, where, where you can theoretically get all of these big guns out, what do you then do? You know, that's when we'll see what BT have. Have BT got the appetite to make those big fights? Have they got the appetite to make a Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder? Would they broadcast it? That's when we'll know what BT is about. I don't think this is something where you're going to overtake Matchroom in a year. I think you've got to have a three-year plan that says, in three years' time, we should have Sky Sports scared. What bothers me is that they lost the Huey Fury, Joseph Parker purse bids to uh, Juco events, which... In reality, like I think it, I can't remember. It was like three point two million US dollars or something uh, that it went for. And Warren bid three million. That could have been how you kick off a boxing platform on a new channel, uh, but instead they, you know, they just didn't bid enough. But they, they should have gone in and tried to blow that ship out of the water entirely, like not left it to chance. But you know, really gone in and asserted themselves, and they didn't which does raise a few question marks about how much money is going to be available longer term for it, whether they've had to budget it a little bit at the beginning. Don't know, but you would really think if they've got their claws into BT, um, that they would have been able to you know, extract the money and put it into that fight. Didn't but, Frank say September is when you should start expecting things? What, 2019? Or? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think because I think the original plan was the deal would kick off in September. I don't know why it was brought forward, but I think Warren's just brought it forward and these are because these feel like fights that would have just been on Box Nation anyway. So because there's no real, there's no bells and whistles to any of these, which is fine. But if he's saying judge me in September, then I'm expecting something of substance in September. My instincts are Billy Joe versus Canelo. Don't quote me on that. We shall see. But for legal purposes, uh, what a very nice man. Yeah, incredible man. <laughs> but we can never, you know, can't really say his name. But no. So so in, in response to the question. If I have a young, uh, if I have a young fighter and he says to me, "Do you go with Hearn 
or Warren, and I've had this discussion with boxers before. You've got to look at roster slots, first of all, like Martin said. You've got to look at the slots. If you're a, let's say you're a middleweight. If you look across at Matchroom, there's a fair bit of activity at middleweight. There isn't so much on Frank Warren's roster. So you go to Warren's roster. Why? He can invest more time. It's a meaningful division. If if you're looking at some of the lightweights like Junior Welter, has he got the capacity? Probably not. You might want to look at somewhere else. I don't know. But I can genuinely see a time when British fighters will be signed to American promotional contracts. You know, I still think Heyman will put will put a foothold in this country at some point because there's too much money to be made. When it comes to purse bidding and stuff like that, maybe they've gone for the Wenger School of Economics. Offer what you think you might need plus a pound. Plus a pound. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you shouldn't be losing a purse bid to no. an event in New Zealand. I agree. No, it doesn't matter shouldn't. if their government back it or not. Okay, that is the BT card. You was quite impressed with the BT card, am I right? Impressed, I really with, liked the, it. Yeah, impressed with the quality. I think the production values need to come up, though. I think that, all, that. I mean, you watched the first season of football on BT, and it was terrible. It was like watching nineteen ninety five stuff on Sky, and the, the terrible sort of TV graphics. And I think they just they just have to grow. I don't know why it takes them so long to show anything of of cl- like almost classy, but. Get fucking Richie Woodall off as well. Get Barry Jones on. It annoys me. Barry Jones will go to Sky and improve their commentary team. Richie Woodall and Ronald McIntosh. So, Richie Woodall just bores you by being incredibly limited in how he views boxing. Ronald McIntosh is that guy that tells you a lot more than you'll ever need to know. And I'm like, you could have spent that time, you know, meeting women and going out for drinks and, you know, generally living life. (laughs) But... I can't say that because Spencer Fear loves Ronald McIntosh and says he's really the knowledge. He's just boring. He can fuck himself as well. Uh, right, okay, moving on. Um, we have Porter Viberto. Um, that's going to be our bridging fight between the two cards. What can you tell us about <clears throat> it? Fucking Andre fucking Berto. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I know where you stand this one then. Do you know sometimes you watch a fight and you look and you say... Fucking Andre, fucking Berto. Yeah. Have you not Especially seen... Especially when I'm watching a Martin Murray fight. <laughs> Have you not seen a Sean Porter fight before? You know, I, I was watching that fight and I was like, this is the this was the fight where I realised Virgil Hunter is the new Arsene Wenger. Because I haven't heard that much bullshit come out of a trainer's mouth in my life. He had no clue what to do. He gave he gave Burso no guidance in there. And I was thinking, going, can someone text Dominic Ingle to go, how do you win this fight? Because he seemed to figure it out pretty fucking quickly. You know, Burso shows up and we all remember Burso versus Robert Guerrero, don't we? Yeah. Where Guerrero just showed up and said, I'm just going to make this a really horrible fight. Hmm. And you're going to find out today whether you're a man or a mouse. And Berto just retreated into his shell. And Porter, being the boxing, you know, he's a smart man. He's a very articulate man, um, you know, and he's a big man as well. And he he clearly saw that and went, if Guerrero, who was a lightweight moving up to welterweight, can bully Andre Berto, then Sean Porter, a middleweight moving down to welterweight, 
can bully Andre Berto. And that is all he did. Berto accepted the contact. He accepted the aggression. He didn't do anything on his own terms and just got beaten up. Now, people talk about the head work that was happening in there, but Porter got cut twice. So, you know, heads were going in on both sides. It was an entertaining fight in just the sheer brutality of it. But watching Andre Berto basically just lose his bottle in a fight and have no support from his corner, that's what angers me the most, is Virgil Hunter gave him no trick just change this all he kept saying was stick to your boxing i'm like hey that's not working it is not working but it was it's fucking bullshit it was utter bullshit you know i don't want to i don't want to hear any of this fucking nonsense about virgil hunter being this great trainer because (laughs) it's only andre ward that this nonsense works with right only ward why okay there you go but no, but having oh, said no. that no no but having said that, having said that we need to appreciate how good Kel Brook is because Kel Brook tamed Sean Porter in a way that no one else did Thurman had to go toe to toe with him to win Brook didn't Brook just kept him under control and if I was Errol Spence I'd be very very worried because Kel Brook's a tougher man than they're giving him credit for and we move on to the Sky Card. Now, just before you two charge your engines, uh, Mark Ewan says, Any chance of you doing a pod where we can go through the matchroom con? Rocky Fielding, co main event, and Murray Rosado, come on. I'm hoping Joshua actually loses so people like, uh, realise just how much of a point I want to make. I like Joshua. But all the hype around of this pack of wannabes needs to be nipped in the bud. They're conning themselves, not just the public. Okay, rant over. Now, I don't want to piss on your bonfire, Mark, but that is not a rant. Do you want want me to show you what a rant looks like? Um, Well, we're going to say... You've got Rocky Field and John Ryder. We have Martin Murray and Rosada, and we have Dodd Appleyard. Uh, What do you want to start with? Right. Dodd Appleyard. Shit. Bollocks. Rocky Fielding, John Ryder. Why does anyone give an absolute uh, fuck? Uh, Rocky Fielding, who crumbled against Callum Smith within about, I don't know, what did it take him, 11 seconds to finish that fight, Callum Smith? I don't know. It it's was... a weird one. So so I, I have a soft spot for Rocky Fielding, and I don't know why. Like I always look at Rocky Fielding, and he looks like he should be better than he is. Now, I've seen John Ryder implode at middleweight. And Rock Tillman is Rocky Fielding's a light heavyweight, whatever anyone tries to say. To see John Ryder just walk through Rocky Fielding was, was actually quite sad to see. I don't want to say anything else about this fight other that was sad to see. If I was any up and coming super middleweight, hint hint, you know who you are, guys, I'd be excited that he has the British title because I just don't think he has that champion's mentality. And that's a shame because Michael Fielding was one of the class of 2008, and I'm always a big fan of those guys, so it's disappointing to see this. I always think Rocky Fielding's just soft-centred. There's something about him that he's probably too nice a man outside of the ring. He's a bit soft-centred, and, you know, when when you have to get into the trenches, when it comes to having a real hard fight, Rocky Fielding isn't going to want it, that's my view. Um, John Ryder is a middleweight who's come up, beat Adam Etchers, and then gets himself in a position to fight for this. John Ryder has never achieved anything... You know, his best 
his best fight was taking Billy Joe Saunders to a loss. Um, yeah, that's what people know John Ryder for ultimately. It's no disrespect to John Ryder. He's a good gatekeeper at that British level. I just, at middleweight, I don't think it says an awful lot about Rocky Fielding that he can go tooth and nail with a middleweight. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to give you time to process that before we go on to Mario Rosado. So the exciting and entertaining, oh. as always, Martin Murray came up against Rosado. Right, let's, 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 let's go back to Mark's question here about the matchroom con, the, um, you know, selling a dream. How much have we heard since this fight was made three, four weeks ago and it has announced it, it's going to be a war, it's going to be a bloodbath. Have you said, I've said it on Twitter, I don't see why anyone is believing Eddie Hearn when he says this. When was Martin Murray last in a war? When was Martin Murray last in a bloodbath? Martin Murray would struggle to punch his way out of a paper bag. Martin Murray... A wet paper bag? A wet paper bag. He's feather-fisted. He is not somebody who gets into wars necessarily. You go back and the Martinez fight, okay, you could argue he was robbed within that. But he didn't have the power on him to stop Sergio Martinez. He's never had that ability to go in there and go like properly toe-to-toe. He took Golovkin some rounds, but he was still getting beaten up. He doesn't have that power. Gabe Rosado is shot to shit. He is so badly, like, he, he was never that good at his peak. He was never that good a few years back. And yet Hearn has sold this dream about it being a war, a bloodbath. The show was called Beautiful Brutality on the basis of this fight. And anyone, anyone that brought a ticket for it and goes away disappointed because there wasn't any blood, there wasn't any passion necessarily within that main event, it's your own fault. Because you believe what Eddie Hearn has well, said about it. That's almost as bad as Rumble and the Humber. Or whatever that it is. was, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Coyle Campbell. Wow. Right, right. Um, I, need to, I need to cut loose on this one. Oh. Come on, Terry. So I want to be honest. When I, when I first heard this fight, I legitimately thought these guys will have a war. And here was my logic. You have two men, Martin Murray, a man who was given more chances than his ability ever deserved, facing Gabe Rosado, who's essentially an American club fighter, yeah? In America, he's a club fighter. He's a guy, he's never been the A-side because he's never been that good. He comes over here. Now, this is how stupid boxing fans and boxing experts are. These fucking bellends who have Twitter accounts. And I might be one of them, I don't know. But these fucking bellends who are like, oh, yeah, look at the wars Gabe Rosado's in. Gabe Rosado fights to the level of the guy in front of him. So if you come in swinging bombs, he will swing bombs. If you try and box and fence, he will do that. He's from Philadelphia, as Spencer Freon loves to tell people. He knows how to box. He knows how to do everything. So unless Eddie Hearn said to Martin Murray, what I want you to do is stop being a boring northern boxer, drop your hands, invite him in, and just have a war. It'll be that good, we can have another one, and we can make that pay-per-view. I thought that was the plan. I thought it was literally, let's try and create our own Gatti Ward trilogy. Because both fighters are so shot and so crap that (laughs) it's viable. At that point, it's viable. And I have nothing against Gabe Rosado, because I think Gabe Rosado is one of those really good servants to boxing. He's a guy who will fight anyone, anytime, for nothing. And credit where credit's due, he's always backed that. And maybe his record reflects it. He's 
He's like Carson Jones in a lot of ways. There's a parallel universe where Gabe Rosado is a world champion. As for Martin Murray, you're an idiot if you entertain any thought that he deserves to be boxing for a living because he doesn't. And all he does is take an opportunity away from young, these young hungry guys, these Linus Adolphians who are looking up going, why is he still there? Why? I'm not a, I'm not a Murray fan. Really? I'm not a Harrison fan. <laughs> and, and, and I want to be a Harrison fan because I like his story, but I'm not a Harrison fan. And what happened after the bell was an absolute fucking disgrace. Gabe Rosado quite rightly goes over to the judges and says, what the hell is 119-109? And then Martin rounds to one. And you, come on, man. Even Rosado won the last two, if nothing else. But for Martin Murray to then try and initiate a fight after he has won, what an absolute disgrace. And then to have an interview where you're then trying to tell us that you're right to behave disgracefully because Gabriel Sardo is American coming over here to get some money. The, look, as far as I'm concerned, no issue with Gabriel Sardo would happily see him back in the UK. Let him fight someone like a Langford. That might be entertaining. I don't know. What I do know is that if a bus ran over Martin Murray, there'd be no sympathy here. <laughs> and then you've got Tony Bell, you sat there. Sorry, to- if a bus ran over Martin <laughs> Murray, you'd have no sympathy. If a bus ran over him, because he's a shitty boxer. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. It was it was his reaction to what happened after the fight. Well, I'm thinking to myself, you've walked around, man. We remember after the Martinez fight when you got robbed. You weren't the happiest. You know what I mean? Martinez was gracious then. What an absolute but scumbag. But if he got hit by a bus, it's his own fault. I don't care. Yeah, well, it's God telling him, mate, sort your life out. <laughs> well, not really, because he's just been hit by a bus. But Martin Murray tries to start a fight with him after the bell. You've just had 36 minutes that you could have had an interesting fight with him, and you failed. So they built this up as this bloody war between two people. If you need a traffic signal as to how bad, how weak and how shot Martin Murray is he couldn't cut a man who's got paper thin skin that the whole fight was built around, Gabe Rosado will bleed a lot, it's called beautiful brutality they had the posters with the blood over it, Martin Murray still couldn't do it, I'm not convinced if you gave him a knife he could have made Gabe Rosado <laughs> oh, wow. bleed because it was that bad <laughs> and like what... I don't know. What is the point? I don't know. What, what do you do with Martin Murray now? Because you know Hearn's going to try and move him back towards a middleweight world title. But it's only Golovkin and Billy Joe, right? Why does like Eddie Hearn seem to have unlimited patience with some fighters and like no patience with others? Do you know what? Because he knows he needs to anchor Liverpool cards. And Warren has all the fighters he'd love to have on his Liverpool shows. So he recycles the same detritus over and over again. So you'll see Paul Smith at some point sniffing around an eliminator for something. Probably against Martin Murray. God. You know, look, look, even guys like Sean Dodd. I've nothing against Sean Dodd, but he's not going anywhere. So so Eddie Hearn has made this commitment. It, it's, it, it's almost like, it's, it's like a war game, isn't it? So... Frank Warren now has leads because he has Josh Warrington, who seemingly is sold out already or close to selling out. Hearn then says, I'll take Manchester. I'll take Liverpool. I don't care about Sheffield, even though his his only real world champion is in Sheffield. I saw Nottingham. That guy is retired. And London. That's 
all Hearn really cares about. Occasionally, a at Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, and a little bit of Glasgow just to disrupt Frank Warren. So you look at that and you say, he's always going to keep recycling this. Do you notice that the fighters he has sympathy for, always these Liverpudlians or Manx, never anyone else. You know, he's never shown any love to the Bristolians. He's never shown any love to anyone from the South Coast. He doesn't because he knows where his bread's buttered. Anyway, in terms of like what it means for the matchroom stable, it is weak. It's not as good as Hearn would like us to believe it is. I emailed Matchroom coming up to two weeks ago with a very ass kissy email to Mr. Hearn himself. Asking and it was him, pretty ass kissy. It went against all my morals, and Terry wrote it. But whatever. Oh, like, thanks, I, mate. Okay. I sold out. Okay. <laughs> I sold out in his send. Um, okay. April. 4th, you know, asking Mr. Asking Mr. Hearn. You know, to come on to our podcast. They haven't responded. I realise he's probably a little bit busy with Wembley coming up. My bit. I'll give him that. Yeah, mate. But, you know, he's got plenty of opportunity. We'd love to give him a right to reply on everything that we ever criticise. We for. have apples and pears on the table as we speak. Yeah, I'll send him some. I'll send him some. If not, we'll go to him. We will go to Matt Dream HQ. We'll meet him somewhere in the middle and discuss these things. Because at the moment, he is selling an absolute load of shite. And it's painful. Okay, deep breath, everyone. How's that been so far? That's the reviews. Oh, no, wait, there's more reviews to come. <laughs> We're almost an hour in, and we have York Hall to cover. So give it to us, mine. I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, it was a fairly... It was a card of a load of uh, debutants on a few kind of established names. So, I mean, the, what caught my eye out of it was a uh, young lad, Brad Pauls, who we speak about fairly often, trains with a uh, young Linus Yudofia that Terry just mentioned. A lad who has bundles of talent. Um, he's got it all. He's a good-looking lad. He talks well. Uh, I hope over the next year, maybe, you'll start to see him move towards Southern Area um, under the tutelage of Terry Stewart, who, you know, a very experienced trainer, been around the Gale for years. Um, so yeah, Brad Poole's stoppage win in, I think it was the second round, uh, lovely, um, loose right hand, just let his hands, rather than loading up on the shots, just relax his body, I was chatting to him afterwards, he said I actually listened to the corner for once, and like, rather than trying to put everything into a shot, just let the, the hands go loosely, and that's what really caught him. Uh, Johnny Carton fighting, um, Gagozovic, Gagozovic is just a lunatic, um, He's not screwed right in the head, I'm sure. Like he, There's something about the man, but he's just a nightmare to fight. I would hate to be on the other end of, of fighting him. Um, Johnny Garton, who's a man who's kind of stuck in, in middle ground somewhat. He's relinquished the English uh, welterweight title, but his gym mate down in the I-box gym is Bradley Skeet, who holds the British title. So Johnny Garton's kind of a little bit in no man's land at the moment, but you know, it's a bit of a tick-over fight for him. Um, so yeah, I was pleased to see him get out. Shout out to Mark Little who uh, cruise away, come back after a fair bit of time out, got a stoppage win, uh, and that's maybe a few other names and people that were on. But uh, that's the kind of that's the headlines. I'm glad we got through. Yeah, sorry, I uh, I forgot to mention that was a uh, Goodwin show that I was down at as well. So yeah, it was. Um, yeah, they got more shows coming up over the next few months. I look forward to them. Make sure you get that season ticket. I think they're now finished. They're now finished. They uh, there wasn't enough uptake on them, and uh, this is why boxing fans let themselves down. Hundred pound yeah. that cost. Hundred pound for a full year down at York Hall. 
and then the other let yourselves down. You have let yourselves down, right? Because for hundred pound, what seat would you get for AJ Klitschko this weekend? Hundred pound on the roof. Booking fee. Oh, oh, <laughs> you'd you be, you, you be sat on the arch. <laughs> hundred pound, and you get twelve months where you go to all of the Goodwin shows down there, right? And um, you get to meet what's her name, Tabitha, Tabitha Young. Yeah, she was down there last night. Yeah, it was. Um, you, you meet her in the flesh. Lovely. Uh, they're, they're all mental, aren't they? They're, they're all I didn't, mental. I didn't really get the opportunity, but she was down there with Linus and Co. But make, make, uh, there's three of them, and they're mental. Yeah, lovely yeah. ladies, though, but okay. mental. Um, Welsh mad. <laughs> but yeah, hundred pound it was, but uh, yeah, that's now ended through lack of uptake. Okay, so we've got plenty to get through, including the big question. We still have uh, AJ Klitschko preview. Uh, some news about Huey Fury and Joseph Parker, that fight. Um, have we covered Jamie Cox signing for Matchroom already? No. We haven't, right? So that's coming up. We're going to talk about that. And, yeah, a couple of other questions that you guys have sent in. But obviously the most important one of the afternoon is uh, Daniel Saint. <laughs> Bless time. him. Bless Big him. Um, he's, uh, he's coming with a bit of advice. and I don't like to call myself an agony uncle, but in some respects, I guess I'm just... It's a natural sort of place for me to fill with. Uh, I think Mike's you're the moral conscience of the podcast. Yeah, but you know how like, I used to write to the Sun or whatever, and they would give you those little photo advising. The yeah. bird always in a bra and knickers. Yeah, laying in always, bed. always smoking hot. When you know that it's like Fagash Lil that this bloke's written in about. Yeah, yeah, but don't worry about that details. Yeah, get on to Daniel. Daniel Saint asks, "Can we have some like uh, problematic ba-ba, music?" Ba-ba. What sign-up does Andy recommend for Tinder? Or just stick with limited likes for free? I think I might need to turn this down a bit. (laughs) Now, come on, you're the expert. Well, I say you're the expert. Terry's... Shut up. Terry's a man who's shy of using To be fair, I mean, Terry with... Yeah, These are all rumours. I I deny everything. This is a man who fucking found an API to sit over the top of the (laughs) programme. You you directed this at the wrong person. Yeah, he's a prodigy, I must admit. I mean, all I can say to you is, if you're looking for a a high-tech, maybe sort of some sort of Android to be built in order to go through... (laughs) Tinder for you to get you maximum. You may want to speak to Terry. But we're doing this raw. <laughs> but if we look, if you want to be like <laughs> a human and take part, <laughs> so should he be sticking with just the, like I don't understand this. A married man, right? I'm going to claim I don't. So I don't understand this. So this uh, is a new age I, I don't understand boxing this, like, Tinder podcast. Like, I have to figure this out on the train up here. So right. with my with my limited analytical <laughs> expertise on this so should he be sticking with limited likes or is there a better right, package so, for Daniel uh, in short Tinder is a uh, a very sweet and it's, it's a love creating service <laughs> right I like you've made love because of this service. say you're a hot girl right which I am yeah basically um, in a lot of ways yeah <laughs> uh, or is it, frankly, any girl. And if we're talking about Tinder, there's not a lot of the hot girls on there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say you you like a girl and then she likes you. You pop up on Tinder and, and it's... Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to... Daniel, I go with the the P-U-S-S-C approach. I call it the Puss-C approach. The Pussy approach. Right, Puss-C. okay. Puss-C. I wouldn't be so disparaging as to call it anything else. No, 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 that's fine. So, I start... <laughs> <laughs> we start with P, pay. Right. So the advantage of paying on the service is that if you make a mistake and you accidentally 
unlike a girl, or you sorry, you dislike a girl, and she goes, you can then go back and change your mind. So, what happened, like, say you're, on average, you probably go through like 200 birds a day on Tinder looking at their photos, right? <laughs> that just about feeds my habit, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But no, you're looking at the photos. <laughs> going through 200 good G's a day, man. <laughs> but you're looking through photos, right? right? Is there a limit to how many you're allowed to say yes to? Right, Terry. <laughs> Alright, look, look. I get look, bored no, 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 no. I ever get Okay, so so let's look at it logically, right? No, no, you have a sample of females whose intentions are as yet unknown. Just a statement of fact. What you're trying to do is you're trying to ascertain their intentions vis a vis you. Wow. <laughs> Which means you are wasting your time scrolling through individually. You may as well do it at some sort of scale. <laughs> On the bulk. And play the law of... <laughs> do you get and play the law of large numbers because what you really want is you want to ascertain whose intent is meaningful. You Tinder want you- Costco edition. <laughs> so, realistically, you probably want to be crashing through about a thousand a day. Am I right in thinking that if you pay for one of them, you can set your location to other places? Yep. Yeah. That's the pain. That's advantages of the pay. So that's service. the paying. Right. So right. you can set your. So you can pay if you're going to go somewhere like, for example, if I was in some sort of industry, it took me up to Leeds uh, on in sort of regular <laughs> basis. <laughs> like someone around maybe a table to wear something. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> I could maybe sort of set my location preemptively in Leeds and then scour through maybe a thousand women a day <laughs> until I found someone that was going to have sex with me in Leeds when I got up there. Until <laughs> I'd established that... <laughs> um, I love, you know, I love being slandered on the podcast. This is really good. I know how Martin Murray feels. And we hurt your feelings because... There are certain promoters out there. When you hurt their feelings, you end up getting paperwork. You know what? Wait, wait. Let let me just Facebook this to Andy Ailing and just go, look, he's come after me as well. (laughs) So. No, look. You've got your your P. All I'll say is this, right? And and, and, and I'll be honest. And this is why, hand on heart, I'm a big Tinder cynic. You're essentially shopping in the yellow label <laughs> section, right? You know when you go into Tesco or Asda. So, so for all of you guys, by li- definition, you're putting yourself on the yellow label section at Tesco. Nah, not at all, man. I, 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 I deal with everything in the flesh. So look at it. Let's look at it differently. Imagine you live in an area that's less than salubrious, and it's maybe not the best area on earth. Go to your local supermarket at about three o'clock when they yellow label stuff. Number one, see the shit that they yellow label. Number two, see the people who hover around there. That, my friends, is Tinder. And this is why I have never downloaded it. And this is why I have never used it. And I will never use it unless unless. they sponsor the show. Unless the day ends in a Y. Sponsored by Tinder. (laughs) Sponsored by Tinder. That could be the Y in an acronym. Use your pay services. So when you pay, yeah, you get boost, which means that you are um, shown pr- as a primary candidate in your area for a certain period yeah, of time. Yeah, but with your face, that's minutes. not beneficial. Well, more, it's, it just it allows you to go through more girls, right? <laughs> Play the numbers game. As <laughs> I don't have that in the acronym, actually. Yeah. Um, S. Um, 
Right. Here's a little trick for you. Regularly shut your account down and then open it up again. And then Tinder thinks you're fresh meat. So it shoves <laughs> you, you back you, in the forefront of the <laughs> Shoves you back on the market <laughs> no. as, hey, look, there's fresh meat. And you get a lot more airtime. That's yeah. outrageous. You, you've made Daniel Saints Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to obviously put all your pictures up again and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to do. Um, Standards. Have you ever rebounded? Hold on. Have you ever just got that rebound? You know that one that said no before? Yeah. And then the second time around, they say yes. But you remember them from when they said no. Uh, well, I don't... Re- I've de- There's definitely girls that I've recognised on there. I've gone, oh, yeah. I, I, I was looking through your before. window. <laughs> <laughs> you get home at about six. <laughs> People often say to me, why are you standing in my garden? Uh, the second the other- S is standards. Keep your standards, right? Low. Right. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> I, I keep my standards because if I don't like the look of a girl on a Tinder page, why the hell would I go out of my way to go and meet her? You end up meeting an absolute munter in the middle of Costco. Uh, Costco or whatever. Costco. That's a hell yeah, of a Costco. Date, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Costco. I need to bulk buy chips. <laughs> um, and the sea? And... Chat and keep the chat going. Really? Because- I'd have thought the idea of Tinder is that you keep minimal chat and then try and meet them and, you know, fornicate. Well, it's just like hard, a married like, man actually- who just watches from the sidelines. <laughs> well, that's why, yeah, that's why I assume <laughs> people use Tinder you, you, for. You're like a casual boxing fan right now. Why are you just knock him out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's him. It's him. Can't you just send a cockshot straight away and then she's there? I assume that's what Tinder was all about. Yeah, right, no, right. Sending photos of your penis and then... Yeah, you have a match. Send a photo of your penis followed by your address and wait. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like a pot noodle. It's like, just eat. It's like, just eat for shit. There's still humans (laughs) at the other end of it. Please type in your postcode. (laughs) Set, set radius. Oh like no! I'm not going to have enough penis to go around tonight. <laughs> it's just a template. Um, <laughs> Name, right. address, cock shot, done. Spent like literally. But I am going to set up a Tinder like oh. facility, and Called. you will have to just put nude pics up <laughs> straight. <laughs> like, like let, let's be even more reductionist. Let's just get to the point, which is what it's all about. Yeah, I'm looking for moderators, if anyone fancies it. Right. Okay. We're forecasting probably a two-hour show. We've spent 15 minutes discussing your Tinder habits. Well, giving you Tinder advice, I'd like to think well, of it. Well, you were asked a question, normally. Daniel Saint has now crashed his car trying to make notes because he's been so <laughs> impressed with it. With but the you got to let us know. Oh, oh, oh. He's got to let us know the outcome, though. We want to know performance before yeah, performance that after. would actually be helpful. So let us know how you get on with that. Daniel. Now I find out Daniel doesn't really what it was just it was just a ploy to get us talking about Tinder. Okay, at the one hour, ten minute mark, let's move on. Please. Um Can we talk about the gloves? Oh yeah. Um They they arrived. Oh, oh. Right. Those ammo. Gloves. The ammo gloves. Yes. Oh. Ammo, my my new my new corporate partner. New Age Boxing, sponsored by JD Sports, King of Trainers. What is it? About six months you ordered them? Uh, well, well, no, they, no. They've taken a very long no, time. No, 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 they haven't. They arrived pretty quickly. I was just lazy in going to the post office. Yeah, I'm not sure about they, that. They could have been hand-delivered, but I was just being lazy. Yeah, but You say that. But, I haven't seen any Jesus, yet. are those gloves good? <laughs> <laughs> I 
So no, no, no. So so I was up. I was I was away from home with work in a location I can't mention. You were on a Tinder day. No, I was actually working for <laughs> fuck's sake. I mean, the two are mutually exclusive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So 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 I did use the gloves. And big shout out to Sam Smith. Um, one of my favorite female boxers out there, lightweight, runs her own gym in West Leeds. Some of you guys from up north will know it, Alliance Boxing Club. So massive shout out to her. I had two good evenings working the gloves. And I was a cynic, you know, when I spoke to the to the lads behind it, I heard all the stuff they said and I was just like, I'm a cynic. So I was like, yeah, fucking whatever. And then you got a nice discount. <laughs> and now you're an endorser. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> So, do you know, so, no, so, so, so I get these gloves and I'm like, I'm still like, whatever, whatever. Wait a minute, no you weren't, because you've been banging on about them for the last three or four weeks. Oh, here we go. <laughs> this is why no one has sponsored us. <laughs> Even when they're nice to one of us, the other two fuck them off. <laughs> no, no, so, yeah. so, so honestly, like, like the, obviously the gloves I have are Seven Wolves limited edition, so they retail for about 650 quid. <laughs> <laughs> there's a more accessible range that's priced between 60 and 90 pounds for you guys. Um, it doesn't have the bells and whistles mine has, obviously, because you're not Wolves yet. Easily available, memberships available. 192 pounds for the year. Bells and whistles attached to your gloves. Yeah, man, the noise they make when you get <laughs> <Lining's> rave. <laughs> no, no, but but I was pleasantly surprised. Lining was really good. Padding is incredible. One thing I will say, in being fair, is let's see how they are. Yeah, no, no, let's see how they are after a month of me putting my fist. Let's see where them. the padding goes. But but credit where credit's due for for guys to go from zero to having a working glove that good in the space of time they did. Congratulations! And look, you can't knock the hustle in this game. So. Fantastic gloves. If you can get hold of the guys at Ammo, get yourselves a pair because for that price, look, you're buying Protexes or something or you're buying a second-hand pair of winning on on eBay. You don't want to do that. You want fresh gloves. And for fresh gloves, I mean, for all you guys out there, come on, man. And for 85% off, enter New Age Boxing UK uh, on the well, website. Well, well, we need to discuss the discount code, definitely, man. For our loyal listeners. Do not, do not do that, by the way, because you won't get 85% off. <laughs> Just to clarify. Uh, oh, what a ask? mental reduction in price that would be. Oh, my old man had a follow-up question. I know we mentioned him the other week about gloves. Yeah, that's what um, I he was talking about. I yeah, think. yeah. About, um, we discussed the uh, different types of gloves, yeah. right? So, as a follow-on question from my old man, who'll be listening, uh, was about... Do and I have to kind of paraphrase this one because I've got it in front of me. Do boxers uh, choose their gloves dependent on who their opponent is, rather than depend on what kind of hands Ooh. they've got? So yes, they do. Which I thought was a good question. Yeah, from good man. So, so if you if you remember, Mayweather ruled out the Manny Pacquiao Everlast MX gloves, basically because as Sam Khan now realizes, there is fuck all in the knuckles of those gloves. So you'll often find that the A-side fighter will specify the gloves, and if he's going up against the puncher and he's not a puncher, you'll find they'll have something like Grant or Rival, which are known to be tamer gloves. Or if you're the A-side and you're a bit of a puncher... Or if go, you know that your opponent's a bit chinny, e.g. an Amir Khan fight. You'll go with Reyes gloves, or maybe a custom-made Grant. But boxers, it's... 
it, it's also subject because Floyd was a Grant man through and through, but I think Grant slid him a bit of extra money anyway because he always seemed to be well looked after. But no, no, gloves are a choice. And I think this is one of the things that frustrates boxing fans is how much control the A-side has, ring size, who, you know, how long the ring walks are, what gloves, um, rehydration clauses, all of these things the A-side can dictate. Just look at the Hay Bellew situation where Hay was dictating around who would walk into the press conference first and what the amount of time between entrances would be, that kind of stuff. That was absolute genius and this is why David Hay is an all-time great and probably (laughs) the most talented and intellectually smart boxer this country has ever produced. No, Matthew Macklin is because Matthew Macklin... Matthew Macklin is the best uh, dress. No, Matthew Macklin is one of my personal... Matthew Mack is one of my personal favourite boxers now because of some of his out-of-the-ring antics as well, which are phenomenal. A man who uh, takes no shit from anyone. No shit from anyone at all. So. Anyone! Doesn't uh, matter if they sue or not. He doesn't care. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a good man, Matthew Macklin. But yeah, we may well get part three of uh, Martin's dad's questions uh, for next week, so we'll see. John's a legend. Hey, John. Ammo gloves, cop yourself a pair. But hey, James, call me. We need to talk about some, some minor tweaks and improvements. And discount codes. Yes. We're partners now, man. Look, we're out here selling the dream. Mm. Okay. Uh, Right. Let's get back on track. We have... Right. What do you want to talk about? Really, this o- o- open uh, well, season. Well, we still got AJ Klitschko. Well, yeah. No, 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 no. Can we, can we, can we talk about Anthony Fowler? Oh. Signing to Matchroom. Right. Well, this is good because we're also talking about Jamie. <laughs> Cox. <laughs> we're talking about Jamie Cox. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, fucking The Wolverine, hell. a man who cuts as much as Gay Bazzardo was meant to. I just remember him getting put on the floor in the Olympics. Yeah. Looking like an. I say an amateur. I don't mean an amateur. In a sense of an amateur boxer, I mean, in a sense of he got schooled and looked like he had. Did you hear? Hearn, did you hear what Hearn said? Yeah, the amateur just wasn't suited to his style, and that's all yeah. about being crap. <laughs> and the thing is, I'm not going to knock Anthony Fowler because credit where credit. Wait a minute. No, <laughs> just no, it. no, no, no. The lad should have a chance, but I think the thing that bugs me, and I've said it on this podcast before, he's so vocal on matters relating to boxing. And then when someone points out that he he limped out of the Olympics in an embarrassing way, he gets very defensive. But he's prepared to stick it to a guy like Eubank. And I feel for him because, you know, Eubank's waiting for him because, you know, from what I've heard from people, Eubank remembers what Fowler was saying. But, but where's Fowler from? Liverpool. There you go. You know. There you go. That's the I'd be nervous if I was Martin Murray. <laughs> because you, you have you have a perfect replacement. Who's he training with? He's training with Dave Caldwell. Dave Caldwell, yeah. <clears throat> That's <an odd clears throat> so what I will say He's is, not the best trainer in the world, is he? I've met the best trainer in the world. You have. <laughs> but no no, I'll say this though. <laughs> For all the shit we gave we've given Dave Caldwell, this is his one chance to prove he can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And if he does that, then we've got to respect him. But I think we know how this movie ends. Uh, Jamie Cox also signed for Matchroom. <laughs> joining the rogues gallery at Matchroom. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jamie Cox, right? A man who he served time. Uh, I don't know the allegations in terms of how much was proven or not, but was accused of um, slapping his missus about. Possibly a bit of an odd one in the sense of he's a hard sell. Uh, what is he now? Like twenty three fights in or something. He's never had a meaningful fight. He's been under Frank Warren. There's this odd. 
Uh, when it was announced earlier in the week that they'd separated, it was something about no further comment will be made uh, under legal guidance or something from both parties. Warren does an interview saying, you know, like all of his contracts legally tied up, something around those lines. Uh, that's not verbatim. That's just vaguely what he said. Um, and then you get Jamie Cox going and signing with Matchroom, which, for the record, I tweeted a month ago that he was going to be signing with Matchroom. <laughs> this turns um, out to be a very costly move for people that do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, twenty percent of all. <laughs> The Ricky Burns route, I think they call it. Ricky Burns Highway. of uh... The Ricky Burns Paul Smith Highway. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to go back and sue someone that's no longer there. Like fucking Lomachenko. The business has moved out of the way. Oh, um, shit. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. Jamie Cox never really had a meaningful fight. He's won a WBO European or something. I don't know. Um, but there are stories Jamie Cox has put down to Gale, he's put down Groves in sparring. I've heard from Paddy Fitzpatrick about Jamie Cox doing all sorts of things in the gyms down in Swindon and travelling around and taking world-caliber fighters uh, into the trenches in sparring. It's a no-lose situation for me, for Hearn. Jamie Cox is next in line to fight the winner uh, from the Field in Rider fight under the British Boxing Board of Control notes. Um, so yeah, he's the mandatory now for Rocky Fielding. So I think what this will show <laughs> is that in, what, 22, 23 fights that he's had, I don't know how many of those have been under Warren, if all of them have or if just a number of them, but there's certainly a large percentage have been under him. There's not been one meaningful fight whatsoever. In probably his first, maybe his second fight under Hearn, he's going to be fighting for the British title. That, you know, says quite a lot, really. Um... But, yeah, it's a bit of a no-lose situation because if he's as good as the stories coming out of the gyms are, or, you know, if those stories are true, then Jamie Cox could go on and do some things at world level. If they're not, then they've got a super middleweight who is exciting to watch. Like, he's a bit of a handful. He's a bit of a loon, a bit of a nutcase in the ring. Um, And he can just use him as a bit of a, you know, gatekeeper, somebody to build up other fighters with. See, the thing about gym rumours, I'm a big cynic about these, because you hear people got put down, and then what it turns out is feet got tangled and someone fell over. So I'm always a cynic when I hear these sorts of things, because if Cox was really starching people, he'd be a lot richer than he is now. Isn't isn't it kind of a complete misnomer anyway? Like, so what if you put someone down in the gym? That doesn't... If you don't... If you don't like, it's only it's only a potentially sm- like a uh, smoke, isn't it? S- a smoking like if if you, you you've got to then you're only using it as a potential look forward to go ah if he's done that then they could do that in the fight. But if he doesn't do it in the fight, they don't matter but, anyway. So 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 the, there are a couple of ways of looking at it. Um, if you're a prospect and you walk into a gym and you put the beating on someone who's really trying to give you a beating and they're an established pro that's a big deal if it's a war and you drop the guy i'm like okay yeah but if it's like a you know you're you're getting ready for your fight and your fights in four weeks and the other lads just got into camp and you put a beating on him i don't take that seriously because i'd expect you to do that and i think people sometimes misinterpret this sort of thing all that really matters in boxing is what happens in the fight well, it certainly makes sense that way. Um, speaking of sort of like the working parts of boxing, um, I have a question from Simon King. <clears throat> uh, 
Okay, I have a question, he says. Is there a genuine risk of the Gallagher gym imploding, with fighters following Quig and going elsewhere? Uh, all hopes seem to be pinned on Callum Smith. If he doesn't beat Durrell, then the gym has no champions of any level. Well, they have Natasha Jonas. And, <coughs> you know, she was up in Liverpool at a press conference. Was she? And it was awesome because... Was, was it a good press conference? I got to, <laughs> I got to track it on my day at work. And Did you? My, my highlight was seeing a rather rather heavy set man in the back of a people carrier bouncing around like he was in football factory like literally <laughs> a guy who was that i don't know <laughs> do you care to hazard a guess i, I don't know mate i don't know absolutely no it was just sheer comedy watching the <laughs> just a fan load of meatheads driving up to <laughs> liverpool and then and then watching watching you know a well respected boxing journalist interviewing Joe Gallagher again I don't know who you're on about. <laughs> at a press conference and interviewing as if they were friends and as if they'd always shared pleasant words together and I was happy to see that because you know break bread together man but <laughs> no honestly if, 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 if anyone's friends with Steve Gooden you can get hold of those videos Martin's performance Oscar worthy <laughs> Do you know what, right? Let me, yeah. So I did the Natasha Jonas press conference. Let's go back a couple of weeks. We, we weren't here last week to discuss it, right? Um, yeah, Joe Gallagher's going to be training her. Steve Goodwin managing her. Uh, promotional stuff's up in the air. I spent a bit of time with Joe Gallagher, someone who we've um, told the truth about. told the truth about over a number of uh, episodes. <laughs> Look, for everything that we've ever said about him, and I'm going to throw the Smith brothers into this as well. Nice people. Joe Gallagher on an honest level here, is a nice person, but talks about himself an awful lot. Shocker. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Some, um, someone in boxing is conceited. <laughs> yeah, like, pays very little regard. I don't think he ever actually asked what my name was or whatever at any point during it, but was quite happy to talk. Don't get me wrong, he's achieved five million times more than I have within boxing, so there's no real reason for him to ask my name. Do you know the weird like thing is? If you had just walked up to him with your hands up and your glove, <laughs> literally your fist by your temples, <laughs> he'd assign you. Assigned, yeah. <laughs> um, it would have it been your press conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had some very very interesting views on um, it was after the Liam Smith Liam Williams fight he had some interesting views on that he's a very because uh, he's a manager as well as a trainer he's got some good business views on the sport it was interesting I know? like how he backtracked on all of that though when he was interrogated <laughs> on it and he was like what was it my favourite Gallagher quote was I was just saying it to motivate my fighter <laughs> I wasn't saying it because it was true. I just had to get in his head somehow. So I told him they don't want you to win this. And I was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, so this was the day after Frank Warren had come out and I can't remember the words he used. but something about being a dog, possibly. Again, not verbatim. Uh, I can't say it's definitely that. Um, but yeah, starts calling Joe Gallagher this, that, and the other one on an IFL interview. So I was chatting with Joe Gallagher and Joe just said, look, I don't know why he didn't have, you know, why don't he just ring me up if he wants to tell me that, to call me these things. Um, over an IFL interview is slightly ironic why not just ring me up and tell me these things you kind of have to agree with that but he was saying you know he said in the corner to Liam Smith oh they don't want you to win this fight you know that and uh, I think Warren had taken that to be himself whereas Joe was saying it could have been anyone could have been the fans could have been the ref could have been their corner could have been anyone but Frank took it to be him Um, uh, you know as I say Joe Gallagher was genuinely a nice man he did like to talk about himself a lot clearly got a 
an ego on him, but who within boxing doesn't? I suppose you could ask the question. Uh, I will throw out there, though. Paul Smith, Liam Smith, Stephen Smith, Callum Smith, all there, all took photos with every single person in that room. Did they unblock you? I'm only blocked by Paul. And uh, I'll be honest here, there's nothing that he says that will ever interest me anyway, so it doesn't bother <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, no, uh, they were all genuinely nice people, like, happy to take photos of every single person. Young children, old, like, you know, the grandma of Natasha Jones, every single person there asked for a photo. They did it, they did it as brothers, they did it individually. Genuinely nice lads, um, all of them. Which goes against everything I've ever said before. <laughs> but yeah, I can only say it as I see it, and that's how it was. Okay, moving on, we have... Okay, I actually want to go for John Mulhall's question. What's the rules on drug bans in boxing? It seems so vague in relation to the lengths of bans, the appeals process, and governing bodies. The rules? There are no rules. There's actually, there are no rules. Generally, boxing politics at large, really, isn't it? Yeah, so, look, you've got... At any given moment, you can have Wada, Vada, Usada, Yukada, <laughs> John Sakada, Neil Sadaka. Yeah, you, you, you mean a llama, anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pretada that there's some yeah. rules. Yeah, no, no. So, so it's it's, su- it's such an unregulated space that they don't all have the same methods. They don't all test the same way. So they aren't really all bothered about drug taking. Well, look, look at it like this: if if the biggest heavyweight boxing superstar was caught with something adverse in his system, it would be covered up. Whoever that is, I'm not attaching a name to it. It would be covered up because there's too much money at stake. That's the simple fact of the matter. If it was a Mexican superstar, it would be covered up. If it was a superstar knockout artist from somewhere in the Eurasian region, it would be covered up. In the same way that when Carl Lewis was found with adverse readings before the 84 Olympics, it was covered up because the US government needed those gold medals. It is a dirty, dirty game and some boxers are finding out that they are expendable. If we say, right, from a completely cynical perspective, right, there's a fantastical argument and say, right, all like boxing is dirty and steroids are used at large within boxing. True. If that's the case, Ooh, how long, how long has that been going back for, do you think? <laughs> Since the 60s. Since the 60s. Right. So if you look at... I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to ask you something. You're a boxer and you go into a gym just to do some bicep curls, maybe even some pull-ups. How and you, do you use Tinder while you're doing it? <laughs> you get a a program that sits on top of Rizinda <laughs> and swipes in leads for a thousand a day. <laughs> An orchestration layer. Oh, no, no, but look. So you've got guys and they're training out in the West Coast like maybe a Ken Norton. And you're seeing guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger looking big as fuck. And you're like, mate, how do you get that big? I train all the hours that God sends. Ah, you stupid man. It's not a tumor. You have to take those steroids. He's <laughs> from Wales now. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. Arnie Swartz and... Jonesy. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, but yeah, so got your back, bro. So, so I say to people, look at pictures of Ken Norton when he was in the armed forces, and look at him as a professional boxer. If you don't believe that guy was taking steroids, and you know, I don't like to libel the dead, so forgive me, Ken. But you were taking steroids in the seventies. Can't actually libel the dead. Do, do I think you were the only one? No, I imagine that they were all taking stuff like steroids. They were taking stuff. They were taking right. diuretics, okay. amphetamines. They were taking everything because so you couldn't don't test you see for it. Xboxers, I mean, pilling their face off of dying like of cardiac arrest all time, like ex wrestlers. Well, no, 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 no. But you're looking. They, well, they peg it from heart cardiac yeah, but, problems all the time. Yeah, but guys like the Ultimate Warrior were doing like four thousand milligrams of test. That's like not even right. That's like five or six times. I mean, what what you have when you're like nineteen or twenty, and they're doing this every day for like thirty years. As a boxer, you don't need that much, so you can low dose and get away with it. You know, some take higher doses, but. It's been going on. Like, people say some of those great boxers of the 80s were on the stuff as well. But no one was testing. No one's testing now. Do you really think, like, if we took Martin Theobald today and we just juiced the shit out of him, no one's going to test him. And if they do, and if they do, he'll get a heads up. Because, look, the, the link between promoter, governing body doping agency is too close it's too okay, close okay so the natural question is then how do people get caught because there have been people caught recently I mean Lucas Brown um, Lucian Buter people are getting caught so how how are they that bad at it that you're, they're getting you're, caught you're acting like you've just shown up on the New Age Boxing Podcast no come on no. you know exactly what happens well, right the formula in the spreadsheet is wrong that's what happens so they come off a day too late or they come off a week too late or sometimes they get greedy and go, I can take 50 milligrams more. That's why they always get done for trace amounts or they always get done for masking agents because they've got it wrong. That's what happens. And that's why that timing's important. You want to take something that will be out of your system by the time you're tested. So if someone comes and tests me today, I know they're not going to bother me for another six months. I'm going to start pinning the fuck out of my ass cheeks. Uh, right, okay, Daniel Saint asks, in all seriousness, after that vicious KO by Charlo last night, is his KO percentage deceptive, or was it just a wonder punch? Wonder punch. Yeah, yeah. I agree. 50% KO. His brother, Jamal, different animal completely. But they're, they're, they're two guys who take that box where I'm just like, look at how physically dense those guys are. They... They're the sort of people, you, you meet people like this every so often. Um, I imagine Jermaine smiles, one of these guys, that if you just touch his shoulder, <coughs> it's like a fucking, it's like yeah, granite. Yeah. They're, they're, they're those sorts of people where it's like they have more muscle cells than the average person. They're just not, they're not right. And and I think the, the, the Charlo twins are like that. They're not prolific knockout artists. I think what they're really good at, and you've got to give Ronnie Shields credit for this, who's their trainer down in Texas, See my little fear on his in there. He's a good friend of mine, you know. <laughs> but no, no, Ronnie Shields has got them working on punch accuracy and timing. And what that means is, even if they're not the most powerful punches, they time it so well. And if you notice, the devastating knockouts you're referring to are all on the chin. And to be honest, anyone that gets hit like that on the chin is going down. Okay, we have two bits to get through before we get to... Well, actually, one more bit to get through. Huey Fury v. Joe Parker. Now, I've been 
hearing rumours about Fury's potential absence in this fight, but I, that's not confirmed. So what what do we know about this? The um, possibility of this being held up. Right, so it all stems from Paco Valsarel, uh, who I think is the head of the WBO, <coughs> which is the WBO heavyweight title fight. Who... Is he the great-great-grandson of the founder or something? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt at all. Who tweeted um, very, very early this morning, Sunday morning, as of today, it seems there will be no WBO heavyweight world title fight in New Zealand. That's all he tweeted. Like... The girl that writes on Facebook saying, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. Oh, are you all right, hun? Are you all right? Oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Don't worry about it. Like, that's all he's bothered tweeting. And then you've heard nothing from Parker, from Huey Fury. Well, there from- will be in Australia. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> off. Oh. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, there's possibility this times in with the uh, outstanding UCAD hearings, which were. Uh, due around April time, I believe, of this year. So perhaps there's been some result from there that people weren't necessarily expecting, uh, which affects the kind of Team Fury side of things. Could it be fueled by uh, an extra, like uh, trying to get a bigger stadium, more money chasing? No, the purses are all agreed. Um, the date and venue were agreed. So, like, everything within reason. And it's been funded uh, in part by the New Zealand government who are paying towards it to try and boost tourism. So, yeah, it's um, it's come as a bit of a shocker. And I say the fact that nobody's elaborating upon why or is it going to be rearranged or is it being moved or is it off entirely? I don't know. I know Terry's got a theory upon it. Um, so, is it the, just the, the, maybe the title's been taken away from the fight and the fight's still going to happen? No, no, right. either the fight happens with the title or the fight doesn't happen. Right, okay. Um, so, Terry, would you indulge us with your theorem? Look, I, I genuinely think there's been that much friction and that much BS about it that the, the well, Kevin Barry, who looks after Joseph Parker and Bob Arum, probably just said, do you know what? Why don't we just do the Wilder fight? Or if not the Wilder fight, another fight. I, I expect Wilder to be involved in that at some point. Because if you've been tracking Wilder recently, he said something about big news coming up. You know, I will be the unified, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. So unless he's fighting Joshua, which I think is unlikely because Joshua would like to save that fight and the Fury fight for when he has his own promotional company. So he gets all of the money. Then you'd think Wilder, being a Heyman fighter, is likely to bump heads with Joseph Parker in a voluntary unification, because that's what will happen if the Huey Fury fight falls through. Right, we're nearly there. We are nearly there at the big one. Let's power through. Shamir asks, how should boxing go about undoing the undefeated brainwashing, as he he calls it, um, that has become so prevalent in fan culture? What steps can be taken? To clarify this, how do you reteach fans that being undefeated is not the be on end all for boxers, can have losses and be all time great? Now, yeah, what do you do? Because uh, educated boxing <clears throat> fans, and not just boxing fans, but fighting fans, will know that an undefeated record is is kind of it's kind of nice, but it's kind of the same. I you know in in some ways as not conceding a goal all season for a team or or not uh, being remaining undefeated it's largely irrelevant if you manage to achieve the goals that you're you know you can set yourself 
But how do you how do you stop promoters and broadcasters from latching onto that as some sort of um, some sort Factor. of yeah something to be sold essentially? Um, yeah, how, what do you do? Can I take this? Right, go for it. You can't. <laughs> Let's put it simply, right? Because what Eddie Hearn has done, you can't do it feasibly for the next ten years. Eddie Hearn has bred this culture of what some people call casual boxing fans. Highlighted by the fact we're going to have 90,000 people sat in Wembley on Saturday. Probably <coughs> 65,000 of which have never attended a boxing match in their life. That's fine. He's creating the event. He's creating the money. He's creating the revenue stream into boxing. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. What will people know about Anthony Joshua that have never been to a boxing match before? They will know that he's knocked out every person that he's faced. They'll know that he's undefeated. Will they know about his background, his history, his amateur background? Of course they won't. They won't know anything about it. They'll know that he's knocked out everybody that he's faced. He carries that O. He doesn't even need to... It's kind of almost implicitly there because of the fact that he's knocked everybody out. Eddie Hearn has built, along with you know, Mayweather, is probably the protagonist for this within the last 10 years. Eddie Hearn has just picked it up over here <clears throat> in the UK and has run with it. And... It's building pointless records because, I mean, look at what they've had to do with Luke Campbell. Luke Campbell, before he got beaten, was headed for world title shots, you know, within the next two fights or whatever, within the next maybe three fights. And because he's lost that O now, there's a lack of investment from Eddie Hearn in him. So you're going to see him as part of one of the worst undercards you'll ever see at Wembley on Saturday. Oh, but Quiggy, mate. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, Luke Campbell lost that own. Now, that makes him less of a commodity to Eddie Hearn. You can't build that kind of casual interest in a fighter that, you know, unless there's something special, as soon as they take that loss. But, I mean, there's always that shining light. Someone like a De Gale, he lost so early in his career uh, in that Groves fight that people almost forget about it now. And actually, you build them back up over time. But in that time, don't forget the Gale has been fighting a Blue Water shopping centre. He's been fighting in front of like 500 people. He's had to do it the hard way because he took that loss. If he didn't take that loss, you can guarantee Hearn would have cultivated the DeGale brand over a period of time and made him a superstar earlier. And wouldn't, you know, DeGale wouldn't have had to go out on those Channel 5 Hennessy shows, etc. My view is for the next 10 years, we're just as fans going to have to deal with it. I take the opposite view and I look at Sean Porter as an example. Like, you look at Sean Porter, he'll be back fighting for a world title again before the end of the year. And he's lost. But He's a PBC <laughs> fighter. He's not going to fight before the end of the year. They don't fight within a six, seven month period. Hal needs the money this year. So I think I think everyone's getting work this year. That's why that's why that Porter Berta was made because he was like, I'm paying you guys good money. Fight each other. So we're seeing the quick recycling of fighters because the name's becoming important again. Danny Garcia's got a defeat now. Do I think that harms his brand? Probably not, because you can just match him against a Broner, then put him back into the title mix. It's about ecosystems. If Broner gets out of jail. <laughs> Bad but week it, for Adrian. Adrian! But it's that whole thing, isn't it? It's that, that, that setup which says, Heyman can keep the belt circulating within his camp. He's okay with that. 
Hearn hasn't got that luxury at the moment of being able to circulate belts. So his selling point is you got to fight my guy. He's undefeated. You know, why don't you be the guy to, to give him that first defeat? But it's about fans. What What's more important, records or fights? I think we need to get back to, and I think the PBC model's going this way, back to fights where we're thinking that might be entertaining. And it's two guys who don't necessarily have anything to prove. So I'd like to see Robert Guerrero back in the ring. I don't expect him to fight for a title again, but to see him in a war with someone, even like an Andre Berso again, I wouldn't mind seeing that because fighters should get to a point where we don't demand anything of them. Miguel Cotto, let Cotto fight who the hell he wants. I think fans should be demanding that. Let Cotto have an entertaining fight against a Tim Bradley. Two guys who have seen better days, but you put them together for a 12-rounder, they'll go to war. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, just like a well-Excel spreadsheet-monitored boxer, we've saved our best till the last. AJ Klitschko comes up this weekend. Probably the biggest fight of the year so far. Revenue-wise. (laughs) An impact on the sport, at least. Um, And probably in terms of interest garnering across the country. The most pairs of eyes in the UK. What do we think? Just to clarify, we like let's ignore the undercut. I don't think I, I, I've we've been going on almost an hour and forty-five minutes now. Right, no works. interest. Good. There's some. There's some. Basically, there's some crap undercard. Um, but it's not really important because as we've spoken about before, it doesn't. There's some fights that just don't need it. That being said, let's talk about this fight because it is so massive. Now they got uh, a bit of stick the other day. Did you watch the gloves are off? <laughs> I didn't. I actually uh... fist bump special. I had some tweets of Anthony Lever, the head of press at Matchroom, about this. Probably the guy who took my email about asking Eddie to come (laughs) on it. Right, so they got... I I watched it, and it was what it was when you consider... I think also when you consider that Hey Bellews happened in the last sort of six months and how fractious that was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those sort of people are expecting fireworks. And in this one, it was like, I respect you. And he's like and I respect you and it was all about respect and love um, perfectly nothing fine with that whatsoever nothing fine uh, sorry no problem with it right, whatsoever okay. uh, but just don't bother doing the gloves are off yeah do you know what <laughs> I mean like, just don't bother with it um, the gloves are off the mittens are on so the fight itself right so let's move on to the fight you're going in you Yes, I am. In, I am going. Primarily, I must sing have sweet to sweet sing sweet. <laughs> you stole my thunder, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you waited an hour forty-five to say that. Uh, you know um, it. You know he's had his fucking Tinder set to North London for the last month as well. I've been using Terry's uh, computer program as well. I mean, uh, oh, it's my other mate Terry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you're there for the sweet camera, Caroline. Um, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That particular. That particular fight, and I'll be honest, that's it. I might turn up just about an hour beforehand. Yeah, something to watch. (laughs) But primarily, I'll be getting pissed and waiting for the uh, AJ Klitschko fight. What do we think moving up towards the fight? How do you think the fight's going to go? And ultimately, who do you think is going to win? But let's start with the fight itself first. Well, before I do that, can we firstly, like... As much as we mug him off, just praise Eddie Hearn for what he's done with this. He's sold 90,000 tickets through StubHub, through any other means, whatever. He's sold 90,000 tickets to one fight. There aren't many promoters in the world 
if any, other than Hearn that could achieve that. So, like, you know, give him his dues for that because we slag him off an awful lot. But he's a damn good promoter. Yeah. He is. He's a, he's a great salesman. Which is why we take shots at him. He's yeah. at the top. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> he's a great salesman. He sold 90,000 tickets to this. Now, arguably, you could say Joshua is the product that people have bought into. That's fine. But Hearn is the one who's, you know, handling the revenue and is the promoter for it. So... You have to give credit for that. Joshua's been criticised the last couple of weeks after saying he wants to be the first billionaire boxer. Why is anyone criticising him for that? Is that relevant? I want to be a billionaire. You want to be a billionaire. Terry wants to be a billionaire. He wants to be a billionaire. What is the problem with anyone saying they want to be a billionaire? I, I don't get it. I think people just want to hate Joshua to hate him. You know, he can't do anything right. I mean, Joshua could could put a picture of him driving a Range Rover and they'd just be like, why isn't a Porsche Cayenne? There are people who just want to hate Joshua because it's cool not to like what everyone likes. Look, I like AJ. I name my colours to the mast. I like him, and you've heard me say it on the podcast before. When he legitimises the belt, I'll stand behind him. Yeah. You know, I, all I want to see in this fight, and I'll, I'll, I'll get a bit more technical in a second, I just want to see AJ go to the well. Yep. I want to see him sat in the corner in the sixth round going, Rob, I'm fucked. Yeah. <clears throat> but I'm not giving up. Yeah. And then, well, however that fight goes from that point on, I'm like, yep, you're a champion. Yeah, I think the, the whole mood behind it would be different if, like you say, he gets the sixth, seventh round, Klitschko's rocked him a few times. Um, similar in a way, well, obviously it's going to be at a high level, but the way Dillian White knocked him and then he then he gathered his composure and he took him to task. If that happened with Klitschko six, seven rounds in and he looked like he was on the ropes and then he came back and beat him or even knocked Klitschko out, or even then you'd be like, wow. He doesn't yeah. even have to win at that point. Yeah, all right, yeah, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You sound disappointed. Well, he wouldn't be legitimising the belt if he lost, would he? Because he wouldn't have the belt well, no, 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 it would. It would be legitimising the belt for whoever won that because you're like, well, this was a war. Whoever wears this belt can rightly claim to say because, I deserve it. Because there's question marks over Klitschko. Like, we can't hide that. That You know, there's question marks over him because Fury did the job first. I put out a tweet the other day saying that, like, Fury is the guy that walks into a nightclub and, like, picks up a bird who's a solid 10 and, like, takes her home there and then. And then, like, Joshua is your other mate that turns up next week hoping the same bird's there and, like, he can have a go here now. Like, that's what Joshua's doing in this scenario, is he's going along, like, sloppy seconds. Yeah, he, oh, he shag, shag, he's shagging the X. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> and so you kind of... There's always going to be that doubt over Klitschko coming into this. And so you want to see the best of both. And whoever wins out of it... I don't have an issue with whoever wins out of it, as long as it's a... I think the worst-case scenario for Joshua... And this will sound stupid, but if Joshua walks in there and in two rounds punches him and punches him and Klitschko falls over and the fight's over. That is where... Look at how Hayes suddenly got some more respect after that Bellew fight because he went into the trenches with his leg. And people suddenly they would always hate on Hay. You're like, okay, fair enough. He, he's gone in and done that. That's what Joshua needs. If he goes in and blows out Klitschko... All that anyone will say is, look at Klitschko against Brian Jennings. Look at Klitschko against Fury. He was gone. And what Eddie Hearn would have done is cashed in at this opportunity and paid Klitschko to come over and make that... (laughs) It would be hard to argue against that if that's the case. So what this all comes down to is how good Klitschko is. 
on the night. What has Klitschko got left? If Klitschko has, you know, 80% of Klitschko of five years ago, then we can expect a brilliant, brilliant fight. Let's not hate on the fight before it's happened. Let's hope that we get the best fight possible. Can you really argue that Klitschko could have possibly got that much worse in three years, having had that that much of a drop-off? I realise he's at an older age. Life catches up with you. He's a 42-year-old man going into this fight. I know, but he didn't... but how much of a drop off did he get from say thirty three to thirty eight? Like what, no, no, no. That... Wait, wait. Look, um... let's let's strip this down for what it is. Klitschko fought David Hay, and what David Hay has in common with AJ is incredibly fast foot speed. So AJ moves quickly. He shuts that distance down quickly, as does David Hay. If you see what Vlad did with David, he was able to still control the distance by moving his feet quickly. If he can do that at 41, AJ's in for a long 12 rounds because AJ will do what he normally does, shuffle, shuffle, counter. And AJ will just rush in head first and catch a, catch a straight right left hook. But that's Vlad being switched on, motivated, hungry, fully fed and watered. I think it all turns on the jab. We will know within 20 seconds what Vlad has by how good the jab is. If he's throwing that horrible ramrod jab straight through the Joshua guard, and AJ's going to struggle because you know if, if whoever has watched the the recent footage of Joshua with Rob McCracken, and all you hear is upper body, and Joshua does this really weird kind of bobbing and weaving sort of stance where he just bounces from side to side, yeah, like a computer game. And I was literally <laughs> just going boom, boom, bang. And that's what Klitschko is going to do. He's going to time that movement and rhythm and nail him. And he's going to nail him on the half beat as well. It's going to be the boom and boom. And on that, uh, he's going to hit him. And AJ's not going to be able to cope with that because he's not a trained boxer, if that makes sense. He's not a guy who's in tune with the small things like timing. AJ's going in there to bum rush this guy. Jabs, straight rights to keep Klitschko off balance. You know, he's going to try and do some of what Fury did but bringing in those really fast and vicious double hooks that he's been working on and we saw against Molina. But Vlad's seen it all before. Vlad will just stick him with the jab and AJ will realise that's a very painful and very long jab. Could this could this be a fight that all hinges on what happens after round six or seven? If no. Vlad has nothing left, won't that be exacerbated? Why would Vlad have nothing left? Vlad is a man who's got more 12-rounders no, than Joshua's had well, fights. Well, when you're saying about his age, is what I mean. If he, he has if he has dropped off, surely he's not going to he's not going to have lost all all, all boxing skill. It'll just, it just wear on him later in the, no, in the game, no, right? No, 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 no. Because Vlad knows how to pace the 12 rounds. AJ doesn't know how to pace the 12 rounds yet. We haven't seen him do it. Right, so if so, it gets to round six... Do you I, don't think I, Vlad could? I'd be more worried about his age. So, so Vlad's either got it or he hasn't. Is that what you're saying? Well, me? Vlad's for me, it all turns on the speed. Ignore everything else. Vladimir's got the punches. It's been proven. He's got the power. It's proven. Has he got the speed to manage that distance? When AJ shuffles in off a double jab, can Klitschko step, step, slide to the side and get out of the way, or can he clinch? Which that, is going to be a key attribute. That will be the easy part because AJ hasn't had someone exactly. just put 17 and a half stone on him, 
bully him sort of stuff. Weigh him just down. Shuffle, yeah, just shuffle him along the ropes. Anchor. Put the head in there. You know, all these things that AJ's not prepared for. And I think Vlad's just going to go really old so school. He's, so I, I get, just take me to school here because... Is this is is this what is this part of like the sort of maybe the grey tactics in in boxing heavyweight boxing? Do, do they come up to you and literally just hang off you to yeah. to drain your energy? Yeah. So so all I do, I throw the jab. If you dip under my jab, I flop my arm over your shoulder, and I just stay there. <laughs> well, you've got two options. You either fall to the ground like David Hay did, because he said, you know what, I'm only going to try and keep his weight up. I'm just going to hit the floor. Ref will have to pick me up. It's worth it. So I don't lose any energy. And I get a breather. Or AJ being proud, he might try and wrestle that. And remember, Klitschko's relaxed at this point because he's got the leverage. So he's here. He's leaning on the shoulder. AJ has to resist that. And with that muscular chill, you don't want that whole torso having to resist that. And that's one of Vlad's tactics, I'd imagine, is just to A, slow the pace of the fight so it's at a pace you're comfortable with. B, just drain the tank. Make AJ work harder than he's had to work for the first half of a fight. And just go back to that corner and go, I'm fucked. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's amused me is, again, we're going to talk about like the casual side of box, but the amount of tweets and um, just general things that are put out about uh, can Klitschko deal with the power of Joshua? <laughs> I think, are you fucking mental? Like, I think people think that Joshua punches harder than Klitschko. You could make the biggest argument in the world. Klitschko's right hand, when he actually lets it go, is the hardest punch in world boxing, bar none. Like, more so than Joshua. Like, the power, the ability to do a one punch, like, one punch knockout, you don't see it off Joshua, you could see it off Klitschko. And Klitschko's got that timing as well, where he'll, he'll catch you coming in. So all this said, who are we going with? Well, I, I, just just one, <laughs> just one quick one. Like I was thinking that in a way, just just indulge me for a second. AJ can't lose here, and the reason I say that is because if he if he puts up a good performance and loses, then then it's okay. It's back to the drawing board, but he's he's young. He's still got the rest of his career. No. If he wins this, hold on. If he wins, then great. He's beat Vladimir Klitschko. But, but then rethinking that, if he, if Andy Joshua got banged out in the second round. He's finished. Would that, would that end his career? No, no, no. It wouldn't end his career, but it, it would be like the Price Thompson thing where you would fall so far down and people would realize how to get at you. That's, that's the, look, the thing that a defeat does is it shows people how you can be beaten. And that's what made Floyd Mayweather great. We never knew how you could beat Floyd. <laughs> yeah. We still don't know how you beat Floyd. The only thing I'm going to say about the scenario you've just posed is three years on, George Groves is going to be fighting on a Kelbrook undercard. <laughs> Think back to George Groves laid out under those lights at Wembley. It's taken three years and he's fighting back in the UK on a pay-per-view as the undercard to Kell Brook. I think Anthony Joshua is a different um, commercial animal to George Groves, don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, <laughs> as soon as that, um, as soon as he loses the Emperor's clothes somewhat, then there's a problem. 
And if Klitschko does that within two rounds, then there's a problem. A massive problem. Um, and, you know, even the casual fans are going to... I think you'll see people cry. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> um, yeah, there's going to be problems for him if that happens. I, d- I don't necessarily foresee that happening. Right, so what do you foresee? I, I want as much detail as you can possibly muster in your sort of... In your predictions. Right, so I see you going Facebook Live at about 10 o'clock Saturday night singing Sweet, Sweet Caroline. I don't know if that might be a cliche now. I mean, I, I could do it as just a tribute no, you'll do to it all to those piss fans. Me off, as I said, I'm blocking you Saturday night. I, you know what? I'm unfriending I, you. I definitely would, but I don't think I'm going to get any reception based on previous... I'm like, taking I'm taking your Tinder uh, tactics. I'm going to unfriend you, then friend you again on Sunday morning. I'm <laughs> <laughs> creating a new account. Um, I see... I don't think it's going to be the explosive start that the AJ fans who, you know, the people that watch Anthony Joshua but don't watch boxing, they're used to seeing Anthony Joshua being able to go in and start wiping people out within three rounds. I don't even think he's going to try and do that personally. I don't think it's going to be as cagey as when we saw Deontay Wilder outbox Bermain Stiverne because I think Joshua also knows that he can't do that to Klitschko. Stiverne is no Klitschko. I think you're going to see a middle ground, personally. I think you're going to see Joshua um, just try and be a little bit elusive, take some of the Fury game plan, um, stay out the way of Klitschko for a little bit. What part of that game plan? Just stay out the way of Klitschko for a while. Um, Fury is ten times the boxer Joshua is. So Joshua's got to try and establish that jab and try and out-jab Klitschko, which is a hell of a task. It's going to come down to, is Klitschko as gun-shy as he showed against Fury? That's, to me, the key element. Yeah, because it, He said that he held back, didn't he? That's what he, he said. He said he was complacent. Right, um, yeah. So, if Klitschko is not complacent, if Klitschko is not gun-shy and he's willing to let that right hand go, I can see it just being a nightmare. As Terry says about the timing of the jab and stuff like that, that Joshua just hasn't got the education at the moment to deal with. <laughs> If Klitschko can bring, as I say, 80% of Klitschko five years ago, I can only see Klitschko winning it. Um, okay, Terry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it all turns on the jab, and it all turns on what happens in that first round. If AJ's there to be jabbed in the first round, and people remember, what I like about Vlad is he fences with his jab. And when he fences with it, it can come at any time. So you can't necessarily time it. He leaves it hovering. Yeah, and he's consistent with that. So you always have to be wary of it. Okay, AJ's good at keeping the hands up. But all Vlad has to do is just maneuver the jab slightly inward into that gap between the hands. Flip it into a left hook. Bang. But even with the hands up, that Klitschko jab will be like no jab Joshua's ever faced. Yeah. And, and what I like about Vlad as well is is how quickly the backhand comes. You know, pam Just like his brother Vitaly. So AJ's going to take a lot of punishment and he's going to have to absorb more than he's had to absorb in all 18 fights. And what that actually means is it's going to take a lot more out of him than the experts at England Boxing or the Institute of Sport have calculated physically and psychologically. If I was in Vlad's corner, if I was Jonathan Banks, this is what I'd be saying right now. I'd be saying, we need to create mental stress in AJ. We need to have him panic. And that might mean 
shooting the jab to the body. We know he's been tender there before. Just shooting that jab to the body, fainting to the body, booming it to the head. Multi-dimensional attacks. And Vlad doesn't need to be that mobile to do it. But what he does need to be able to do when AJ does put the pace pace on him, which he will do, is control him. As soon as he feels that first shot, get his arms on him, hold him, frustrate him, put that mental pressure on him. I, I look I can see how Vlad wins and I can see how AJ wins but AJ can only win this by stoppage and he'll only do that if Vladimir's shot which is a meaningless oh. fight if Vladimir so if so AJ can't win then yeah surely if Vlad is a live opponent which he could be because he's had time to replenish his body let's not forget is that. it not possible that AJ could show us things that he hasn't shown before no and out, and out no just stop that thought right there so he so the, 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 you're saying the only way AJ wins is by proving bludgeoning that Klitschko passed Klitschko, it. Yep, by bludgeoning him and just going all out. Like, you saw the pad work. You saw what he was doing on the bag. It's so limited that he's relying on brute force. That's all he has is brute and force. And you would both say that that brute force is, A, something Klitschko has definitely faced in equal measure in the past. Samuel Peter B, is harder than AJ. And B, not as big as Klitschko can throw himself. Uh, AJ doesn't punch as hard as Klitschko. Like, look, let, let's look. What's AJ's most impressive performance? White. Matt Legg. How many, sho- how many shots? <laughs> how many shots did it take to get Dillian White up? Bear in mind... He stunned Dillian with a double jab to the head and the straight yeah. right to the top of the head, right? I must say, I and he had to hunt him all the way around that ring to land the uppercut, which was just down to Dillian being lazy. Had Dillian not really, had Dillian just old schooled and put his arms in the way of that, it would have taken him another minute. Yeah, I must say, like, I, I, he didn't. I remember after that AJ fight thinking, "Fucking hell, White wasn't out completely out of that." Do you know what I mean? It felt like. White made a mistake. So could it not be that in heavyweight boxing, you'd literally make one mistake yeah, and he's out? but what what has Anthony Joshua learned since that fight? Look at his list of opponents. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Fucking... Well, from the great Charles Martin. Charles Martin, <laughs> Briazil, Eric Molina. Am I missing anyone? Right, so, ha- so has this fight come too soon in Joshua's career? Yeah, but you can't say no to it. You would be crazy to say no to it. It's come too soon, and you have to give Anthony Joshua credit for taking it. Like again, as much as we're, uh, you know, not always the friendliest towards some of the matchroom fighters, and you know the way that it's sold, you have to give Anthony Joshua if you, credit. If you like, I realize this is kind of a non-question in terms of this fight, but if you had to sit out three fights for this year, and then he was going to fight Klitschko at the same time next year. Who would be the best three opponents for him to fight between now and then to learn in order there, for him to be best prepared? There, there, there isn't anyone. So, yeah, but how can he learn? That's what I'm well, trying well, to say. No, no, no. If he's fighting people who he can't learn, no, no, no. Well, who would be the best Povetkin, opponents? three times fight Povetkin. <laughs> That's <laughs> the best preparation but, but, the problem, but the problem is Povetkin's too small. So you're, you're looking at bits and pieces. So you're looking at, you want someone big who's aggressive like a Hellenius. But then you also want someone who's quite cagey, like an Otto Valin, who's also big. You, you want all of these elements in there. Because Vlad Vlad has many elements. So he has the the pre-Emmanuel steward, I'll, go, I'll seek and destroy Vlad. Then there's the Emmanuel steward, we'll turn you into a bit of a Lennox Lewis. You'll be a bit more educated with your jab and bring everything on top of that. So the all 
Vlad's just at a different level in terms of his boxing knowledge experience he's just at a different level to anyone who's out there right now okay that's no that's not it not it I was just about to say not it I was <laughs> going to say going yeah, yeah you're definitely right. going what's there what's the time because I need to get cat food from the co-op shuts at 10 you, you got plenty no, of time 10 oh, past 8 good. mate we're good okay right I just have to just shout out some of the guys I know the ABA's happened today so for all you guys all right. this is the the future generation so you're going to hear a lot of these guys on this podcast for the first time so I just got to reel the roll call off I think it's all just wrapped up now so I'm just going to reel off the ones I think are exciting anyway Jordan Reynolds. We're not that far down yet. So Lisa Whiteside, you know, she's replaced Nicola Adams in the GB squad. So she's gone through, I think she holds the number one ranking and she'll get to box for GB now, which is good. There's a kid called Louis Lynn who boxes for Nemesis in London. If you can find his footage on YouTube, he's a classy kid. I I expect big things from him. He's not a big lad, so he's like around the flyweight level, but he's classy as hell. Let's look forward to him. Ellie Scottney out of Nemesis as well. Nemesis had a great year in the ABAs this year. Um, one that's a bit more relevant, Shona Whitwell, daughter of Steve Whitwell, who coached Tyler Goodjohn, Carl Wheeler Myers. You know, this is this is a big deal because she's now number one GB for her age. I think she's only 19. So that's a, that's a really good result. Um, you know, Luke McCormack, GB, he's won again. And then in terms of, you know, on the female side, Sherelle Brown, good friend of mine. She's national champion again. Congratulations to her. Let's Now let's find all the interesting ones for you guys. So there's a kid called Ben Whitaker who's beaten Jordan Reynolds. Ben Whitaker is one of the classiest operators I've seen. Got a very Cuban style. Very, very, he fences a lot. I don't know if he's got the power that carries over into the pros, but he looks so elegant in the amateurs that you you can't fail to be impressed. I imagine he could be our representative at Tokyo 2020. Unlucky for Jordan Reynolds. I don't know if Reynolds turns over now, but Jordan Reynolds is a great kid, and whatever he does, he'll be back again. Um, James Branch at 86 kilos, another tough lad. I mean, he's done well. I don't know what he does. Hopefully he goes pro relatively soon. Hell of a fighter. And then, to be honest, Solomon Dacres, never know how to say his surname, the number one GB super heavyweight after, what, what do you call him? Fraser Clark. So that's another good result. Uh, really, really competitive super heavyweight division. I think everyone's realizing now that, you know, the heavyweight division's back. So people are back in training. Guys are coming out of retirement. So that's good. So there's a few names for you guys just to get your, your head around. Hopefully you'll be hearing a lot more of them in the next couple of years. But, you know, we keep supporting the amateur side of the sport and we definitely keep supporting the female side of the sport. Okay, that brings us to the end. Uh, You've been very patient to sit with us through this time. I hope we have fulfilled your boxing input desires. Uh, Right, I'm not going to sort of dance around it too much. We haven't made predictions, have we? Oh, yeah, that's what I was about to say, actually. Yeah, we're about to come to it. No, no, no. Um, Yeah, that's what I need. I need... Right, concrete predictions. Let's write them down. Hold on. Right. Go on, then. Pitch K8. Scott Quigg. <laughs> no, I'm going to go Klitschko points. Ooh. Klitschko. Round nine. Wow. 
points, yeah? <laughs> Andy? Sweet Caroline. Um, well, okay, the no logic fixes. I'm applying here is that every time we've made predictions recently, they've been wrong. Tony oh, yeah, Bell, yeah. You, I'm the... fully expecting Joshua to fucking so, wipe him out. I'm going to go Andy Joshua just for... Posterity and one of us, we can. One of us can be right. But but can I just say something? I, I think AJ will. I think AJ will. This is as much of hope as as, as expectation. Probably more in hope than expectation. Will do himself justice. But he'll. I reckon he'll. He'll. I reckon he'll beat Vladimir. You you, know, you you sound so confident. Oh you know God, I know. In the I'm gonna go for round eight. You, I tell you what I find interesting. Whenever I think of AJ and I go, when AJ's been hit hard in his amateur days, he does what Frank Bruno does, where he's just stunned. And it's like, what the fuck do I do? What did Tyson call him? Frank. No, it was in uh, Tyson Fury. Ah. They called Joshua. The, the new Frank Bruno. There you go. God, man, Tyson on social media. He's like a six foot nine white version of Tupac right now. <laughs> interesting analogy. But no, it'd be interesting. All I want to see is what happens when AJ gets hit with a stiff right hand. That's it. If if he gets hit with Klitschko's best shot and just shakes his head, I think we'll all hide under our sofas. Okay. Um, what I'm going to then add as, a, as an extra sort of prediction to that is that who do you see, or both, coming out with credit from this fight out of the two boxers? Uh, like, Vlad- like you're saying Vladimir wins I, in the ninth, know. but do you think AJ comes out of it with his career in tatters, or do you think he's probably fine? Good? Well, no, no, it's in tatters relative to where he is now. You think yeah. right now AJ is the biggest deal in boxing? You just sold out ninety thousand. Yeah, if, lo- if he gets knocked out, he's not selling out ninety thousand yeah, ever but, again. Yeah, but if he loses, yeah, definitely he's going to come off that perch, isn't he? But and 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 I'm going to say this: I want to know how he's going to cope psychologically. And I'm being on a human element. You imagine you're Anthony Joshua, and it's all been an upward curve for you. A few minor bumps on the road. If you get knocked out by Vladimir Klitschko, how are you going to cope with guys? You you become a meme. You're in the same way Wilder's windmill and became a meme. And you have to see that. And you, guys will retweet that. They'll put your name in it. They'll tag you in shit. And you have to see that. Wherever you go, it's like, man. That Coogan Cassius interview that I watched from when he was when AJ was in Watford and that, he was getting compared to Muhammad Ali at that point. <laughs> it's like... Dickhead. Whoever said that. Whoever's compared him to Muhammad Ali is a dickhead. I wasn't about Old Coogan. school put down. <laughs> and their mum. Right? And their mum. Shitheads. I wasn't about Coogan. Like Coogan's alright. Whoever's compared him to uh, Muhammad Ali, them and their mum are dickheads. <sighs> right. We've finally reached the end of this podcast. Get in touch with us. Let us know your predictions uh, between now and the fight. They might have finished listening to it by the time no, that's the fight true. comes about. True. Um, what happened during the fight? Um... Yeah, get in touch with us at New Age Boxing UK, at The Seven Wolves, and at New Age Podfather. Give us your questions. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the end. This has Anything been a marathon. Thank you. For Thank you. you. On a day of the London Marathon, we've, uh, we've tested. Those fucking runners. We're <laughs> running a marathon. Look at me. We're running a marathon. It's getting a bit boring after a while, isn't it? Isn't there anything more, is there anything more boring than... Andy ran a 
ran of a marathon once. Yeah, and I was actually bored. I, yeah. The only thing that kept me company was the severe cramp. I had. We, were, we were on Tinder halfway around. Like, <laughs> who's in this region? <laughs> who's in the race? Luckily, I've paid, so I can find out who's going to be at the finishing line. <laughs> <laughs> Your parameters to like within two meters. <laughs> well, look, fortunately, I could do within five or six miles, couldn't I? <laughs> I was like. How far? Oh, how far from the finishing line are we? Are you struggling? No, I need to update my Tinder <laughs> radius. Fucking hell. On that note. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Cheers, um, guys. Pleasure. Good luck on Tinder and <laughs> and life. Uh, yeah. Bye bye.